Up next on episode 71 of Stack Overflow, a collection of clips recorded at the San Francisco Dev Days Conference, with speakers including Joel Spolsky, Mark Harrison, Jeff Atwood, Scott Hanselman, and Rory Blythe, from IT Conversations. Hi, this is Phil Windley. Today I'm excited to bring you another great program from Stack Overflow with Joel Spolsky and Jeff Atwood here on IT Conversations. The Conversations Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we need your help. For a tax-deductible donation of as little as $5 per month, you can support this channel and the rest of the Conversations Network. So please visit conversationsnetwork.org to become a member and help us continue to bring our programs to the world for free. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. And now, here's Stack Overflow. And the Yahoo store says, while you're creating an account, this was in the year 2001, I'm sure it has been fixed since this code was rewritten to not be Lisp, but back when it was Lisp, this dialogue, this thing came up, and it said, please, we're going to take you through several steps. I, I know it says tour, but it's actually uh, the sign-up process. It says, we ask you not to use your browser's back or reload buttons or resize the browser window during the tour. If you do, the tour will simply restart itself, which means that they don't know how to make the back button work, which is something that I know it's a struggle. It's kind of hard to make the back button work on the Internet. But most of us know how to do that, right? So, okay, so it was the beginning. Now, here's the part that kills me. We found that 10% of the people who take the guided tour forget this warning and hit back or reload out of it, so don't. <laughs> what, why is this even here? You know that the people are going to hit the back button. You're even telling us that you know, and you appear to have measured it. You appear to have done some experiment. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, and yet, you're warning. Why are you possibly telling us this? Why are people hitting the back button? It's reflexive. Even though you tell them, they reflexively think that back is undue, and they make a mistake and say, oh, darn, they hit back. And, and, and yet, so the only possible reason to, to, to warn people about this, since they're going to do it anyway, is so that when they hit back and then they have to retype everything from the beginning, they feel bad about themselves, they don't blame you. Right? You just want to make people feel a little bit guilty so they don't call you up and say, ah, friggin' Yahoo, blah, blah, blah. They say, oh, gosh, I'm so dumb. Uh, which is not very nice. And that's what all these security dialogues are, are about. Are you sure you want to install this thing? Well, I don't know. You know better than I do. The main reason this dialogue is up here is so that when you accidentally install the virus software that transfers all the money out of your bank account into Bernie Madoff's bank account and to pay for things at the commissary in prison, when you do that, you'll blame yourself. You won't blame the designers or Microsoft or anybody else because, gosh, oh, darn, I'm so stupid. I said yes, and I should have said no. So this is a very, I think it's a very unethical thing to do, basically, to make your users feel guilty. Please welcome Mark Garrison. Didn't know I'd be following Joel. We'll try to uh, keep up the uh, keep up the pace. So this is uh, some code by Peter Norvig, who's a pretty popular uh, Python guy. He's also, uh, I think, the director of research or something over at Google, and he's written like the top two Lisp textbooks. So 
he had some pretty interesting ideas about how to do some spelling correction when he was talking about spelling correction in the context of, you know, of how they do it at Google. And he was trying to explain to people you know, how Google does a spelling uh, uh, correction. Now, we'll make a, uh, so, so we'll use this as kind of a jumping off point and we'll cover it uh, with a few of the Python or a few of the features of Python that make Python a really nice uh, language to use. And if you're not using Python, you know, just some of the things you can consider that if, if you were looking for a new language that would make it worthwhile. Okay, the first thing um, you see up here, the import, is it has a really, really nice uh, standard library. Almost anything that you need to do, there's a library for it, and it's almost always included as part of the standard library. That was actually the very, my very first Python experience, is we needed to do some stuff that did a bunch of checksumming, and rather than search around and find a uh, package you know, to compile and uh, you know, you know, link into our C code, it turned out you know, it was there in Python, you know, why don't you give it a try? And it, and it was, you know, seemed to work pretty well. If you're just getting started, uh, here's a few commands that'll make it really uh, pleasant uh, for you. Uh, they have a lot of introspection that you can do at the command line, and there's a lot of things you can do that'll kind of help you out, kind of like a quick reference. Uh, the, two, the main thing is if you ever have a variable or a class or anything like that, you can find out what type it is, and more importantly, you can do a DIR, and you'll find out like a quick reference of all the things you do. So if, so if you're used to dealing with a couple of different languages and you never can remember what's the word to strip the spaces or whatever, you know, that will help you out with that. It also has a built-in help. If you write a, a function and you start off uh, your function definition with a quoted string, that, str that string will follow your function all around so that later you can refer back and do a help on it. Uh, the nice thing is all of the standard library, for example, here's a dictionary. Uh, if you do a help for a dictionary, you can get the full uh, help page. Uh, one of the key things that we're gonna look at in this code that uh, is the spelling uh, corrector, uh, it uses a lot of list operations. And here's a few of the basic things. So, so a list, you know, basically square bracketed, uh, it's a heterogeneous data type, so you can have a list of multiple things. There's a number, a string, a, uh, a, a sublist. You have various things. You can append to it. You can take the length. You can check for membership by saying something in my list. You can check lists, lists for equality. Uh, you can take slices of lists. That's basically say take element zero to one. That's take uh, element three to the end. And here is, uh, they also have a thing called list comprehensions. And this is what uh, Joel was getting at when he was talking about the elegance, that uh, originally Python started out as a really verbose language. And the idea was that any person could write you know, an algorithm in Python and it would look almost exactly the same as if uh, you know, another person had written it. There weren't a lot of fancy, uh, you know, syntactic things like you know, Perl had and stuff like that. And uh, consequently, that it would become very readable. But uh, over time, they've uh, managed to add in some uh, you know, syntactic nice niceties, such as these uh, list comprehensions, 
where if you look at this, what it would do is you say there's going to be a list, and that list will be you know, I squared for I in some range, and that'll generate this kind of list here. You know, there's one, four, nine, et cetera. There's uh, the concept. And this will be really handy as we look at the uh, spelling, uh, spelling checker. Uh, the other thing that we'll have is we have a set, which is like a list, but it strips out the duplicates. And we'll be looking at uh, dictionaries. Um, my name's Keir and I work at Cosonified, who along with Fog Creek and Joel are bringing you Dev Days and I'll be popping up um, throughout the day with a few announcements. Um, the first of which is for those of you who've got laptops with you, how many is that? Whoa, everyone. Um, Microsoft are running a um, seemingly unbelievable offer in the lobby during the breaks. So if you've not maxed out your memory, they will upgrade it to the max for you. Apparently they've come armed with screwdrivers, memory, the whole kit and caboodle. So, if you don't want to take advantage of that, uh, I think you're very silly. Um, so we have a break now um, until 11 o'clock. There's coffee and food. Everyone's going. <laughs> um, so we'll be back at 11. So help yourself to coffee and drink. We'll see you then. Um, so this presentation features me. And if you would like to get a hold of me at some point, you can do so at this vanity email address, rory at rory.me. I don't have a website really up yet. If you go there, then you'll see a kind of skeleton site that my sister, who's sitting right there, is building for me for free. So that's, yeah, there you go. Thank you, sis. That's good. Um, and because uh, I'm terrible with the uh, making websites pretty thing. Um, why am I here? Why am I the person doing the, uh, the iPhone presentation? Um, I'm a nerd. I've been coding since I was like five or something, and my sister actually wrote a program before me, which has bothered me my entire life. And uh, uh, I worked independently for a few years, so I wound up dealing with a whole bunch of different systems, like everything from mini computers, which of course means gigantic IBM Darth Vader refrigerator-looking boxes in the basements of utility companies, to, uh, to mobile devices, to desktops, to servers, etc. So. I've kind of been around and, and uh, worked with a lot of different platforms. Then I was working at Microsoft for several years, which was an interesting experience that like, I'm very happy about, but it's also it was a little bit, you know, kind of stressful. Then I worked at a place called Spotlight Mobile for a year, and this is where I got on my iPhone development experience. Each time I give a talk like this or, or the interviews that I've given on iPhone development, people come to me and they say, you know, that sounds really scary. Like, you made it sound really scary. I'm scared now. I thought it looked mean. Now I'm just terrified. It's not that scary. It's weird, but it's not that scary. So this girl, 17, never coded before in her life. And then in June of this year, she decided she wanted to write an iPhone app. So she went and she watched some screencasts. And then uh, two months later, she had written three iPhone apps. And she was actually doing some pretty complicated stuff, right? Like, she wasn't just going with the straight up nice Cocoa framework rappy bits. She was getting down to the C APIs, and she had never seen a pointer, she had never done any kind of memory management, all of a sudden she's writing these apps that actually like work, you know? So it's, 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 it's not as scary as it sounds. Like, it might look weird, but if someone can go from nothing to being able to develop for the, for the iPhone, then, well, that's pretty cool. In addition to only having one app available at a time, you have to fake it, you have to make it look like your app is multitasking, okay? Or, 
In other words, if you go from one app to another, you have to make it look like multitasking is actually going on with these apps, even though they're actually fully stopping and then restarting. Like, I don't know how many of you have used iPhone apps and noticed that you can stop an app in a spot and go off and like, make a phone call or something stupid like that, and then you can go back and start that app up again, and it's going to start in the same place with the same data, like maybe even the same scroll position at a table where you left it. That's not automatic. You have to code that stuff, right? That's part of the guidelines. Apple wants you to make it look like your app was running in the background. It's kind of weird, but it works. You can't, you can't, you can't be a little resource piggy, okay? Because the iPhone is a little tiny thing to make it work as well as they have. Of course, they've had to jam a lot of stuff in a very small space, and you don't have unlimited RAM. It's not a managed environment, which means that you're doing all the memory management yourself. Not all of it. It's, it's like halfway between. A, a friend of mine described it as having a garbage inspector rather than a garbage collector, <laughs> right? Like, in, instead, of, uh, instead of just having somebody come around and just scoop up all your trash, you can check to see if something's likely to be scooped up, and eventually something might come and scoop it. But you've got to do some of the, you've got to like kind of sweep objects out of the way first, and then the garbage inspector comes over and is like, oh, and then gets rid of it. Okay, it's, 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 it's about as automatic as the door I saw at Starbucks this morning that said, uh, warning, automatic door, you know, uh, push button to operate, right? Um, which is not very automatic. <clears throat> so uh, I'm going to uh, fire up Xcode right now, which I believe is already fired up. Yeah, there it is. How exciting. Um, and if anybody has any questions along the way, you just let me know. I'm just going to try to write an app here and, uh, uh, like I say, give you an idea of what it's like to do this. If you've never coded with Objective-C, you're going to find this kind of strange. Okay? So just try to accept the differences. Like Pretend like you're traveling in another country you've never been to, and you don't speak the language, because that's almost exactly what's happening. All right? um, and was there a question back there? Yes, sir? Um, yeah, yeah. So MVC, ASP.NET MVC. How many ASP.NET MVC people here? Okay. How many MVC people of a different style? Wales, Merv. Okay, cool. So this is probably an introduction for a lot of you guys. So I won't offend you uh, too much by, by doing that, right? Isn't that the way always MVC talks starts? Like, okay, this, oh, model few controller. Oh, thank you, three circles. That really, uh, <laughs> wow. If he hadn't put that third circle up there, I would never have figured that out. So I'll try not to offend you guys because you're, you're so advanced. So let's just do this. Um, Visual Studio 2010 Beta 2 came out this morning, so I'll show you this for the first time. You're the first conference to see it. And uh, this is our new IDE. I guess the word on the street is it'll be out uh, early next year. This is uh, a beta that everybody can download on Wednesday. Uh, so I'm going to come in here, and I'm going to just bring up uh, an MVC application. I can do this in any, and again, I'm going to do a little basic stuff, and then I'll get right into the advanced, because everyone said, yeah, that other Stack, um, Stack Overflow dev days at another, another city was too simple. So they said, Joel said, make it as complicated as possible. Right? I work for Microsoft, so that's going to work out really well for everybody. Right? Um, so the basics are, for those of you who are not MVC people, that you say file new project, and you get this dialog box that basically says, uh, yes, I want a unit test project, or no, I suck. <laughs> right? So the Visual Basic 6 developers usually click that button and then hit OK. <laughs> and then actually, one, one last thing before I forget. One of the things that we've recently added, too, is this new syntax. Rather than going like this, 
That's the standard syntax, but those, those things aren't HTML encoded, so you could get owned that way. Just by going like that, a colon sign, we like to think of it as the, uh, the equal sign, but viewed from the angle, from the other, you know. <laughs> Just turned it 90 degrees. Um, it's like a gate, you know. Anything at all we can do to justify our ANSI art, uh, that automatically encodes stuff. So in MVC, anything that's done like that gets automatically encoded. Please welcome Jeff Atwood. One cool thing about this conference is we got to pick our speaker intro music, which I've never <laughs> been able to do before, so I was very excited. Uh, that was my little uh, inside arrested development joke. There's this character on the show that is a magician and has this very elaborate intro sequence. So, Anyway, that's the joke, in case you're curious. Uh, one bit of business before I start, I, I'm often accused of uh, shilling books on my blog that I don't actually read, which I do actually read all the books. Um, and this one's really, really good, and I just want to give it a shout out. And actually, it, you're going to see it later in this presentation, which is blissfully short, don't worry. Uh, so I just want to warn you that this book will come up later. And I thought it was kind of a fun interview question to, w when you're interviewing programmers to, to, to give them this list and go, okay, identify at least one person on this list. And there was already some pushback on my blog. They were like, what? That's crazy. You know, how could you ask somebody to do that? But I think these are some amazing programmers. If you don't know at least one of them, then there's kind of a problem. Uh, also, we, we are all in the solid state disk religion now. I just want to let you know that that's where everyone is. So all the cool people have solid state disks. So just fair warning. And the reason I was thinking about that is because this laptop has a stupid magnetic platter drive. And uh, now I can barely stand to use it. It's, it, it ruins you in, in a good way. I just want to mention that. So the Stack Overflow team is here. Could, could you guys stand up, please? So this is, this is the entirety of the Stack Overflow team. You're pretty much looking at it. Thank you. So that, that was Jeff and Jared. So that's the rest of the team. And I want to give you our Stack Overflow team motto, which is that we feel free to fail early, often, and as frequently as possible in really painful ways. Uh, and I want to actually talk a little bit about hardware. Now, at a software conference, that seems odd because, you know, who, how is that actually relevant to building software? But one of the exciting things for me about working on Stack Overflow is that it, w it was an opportunity to actually uh, build everything from end to end and understand all the pieces and put them together in exactly the way we wanted uh, and, and have really tight control over the system. Because as a programmer, one thing I got frustrated with working on a lot of projects was that I didn't have the level of control that I really wanted, where I felt like I could deliver something really awesome if all these other people would just get the hell out of my way and let me do what I knew was the right thing to do. So when presented with the opportunity to work with Joel on Stack Overflow, uh, I was chomping at the bit to do exactly this. And one of those areas was actually building the server hardware. So I was like a kid in a candy store. I was like, wow, I get to learn about server hardware. You know, I get to buy all the server hardware. And we get to make it really fast for you guys. You know, that's the exciting thing. Because I'm, I'm very impatient and I want every page to load immediately or sooner. Uh, so when building this up, you know, I documented everything very meticulously and made it into blog entries. And the thing that struck me about this was this is something I would do for fun. You wouldn't really have to pay me to do this. So the idea that my job is now to build the site stack overflow and make it, you know, as fast and as awesome as I can is like, you know, it's like a dream job for, for I think I speak for everybody on the team, it's a basically a dream job for us. So uh, the hardware is just one manifestation of that. But it's important in that it's, it's every detail of everything that we do, I like to look at very, very closely. There's nothing we phone in on Stack Overflow. 
And that goes all the way down to the hardware. Now, what, what, what I'm trying to illustrate here is that this is about passion for the craft, not just for the craft of software development, for the craft of delivering a product, you know, a, a solution onto the world that rocks, you know, that's really, really solid. And I, I put little dedications on the server sort of as a joke, um, but it is indicative of, of the level of passion that we try to bring to the project. Like every little detail is something that we've heavily considered and thought about. And this is one I just deployed. This one was dedicated to Jared, actually. It's very, it's a tender moment. Now, this is a little ridiculous, to be fair, but there's actually a historical precedent for this. The Amiga 1000, which I actually had an Amiga 1000, now I think about it. I don't know that I ever opened it. I might have. Yeah. Uh, actually had signatures of the people who designed the hardware inside the box, like molded into the plastic. So what you're viewing here is an annotated version of the plastic. There's actually a dog paw in there too, I guess there's some dog. Now these guys are way out of our league. These guys actually designed really brilliant hardware for its day. I mean, the Amiga was like a multitasking operating system, one of the first actually, had this incredible uh, graphics hardware. So these guys were geniuses. We're not even in the same league as these people, but it's the same kind of passion that I wanted to bring to the project, saying, you know, we love this stuff and we love that we're able to share it with you in a way that's useful and, and you know, everybody benefits. Uh, so one little funny thing that came up was we had the site called meta.stackoverflow.com, which is a way of keeping sort of the questions about Stack Overflow out of the main thrust of Stack Overflow, which is it's about programming. Uh, and actually, let me ask this now. How many people have actually visited Stack Overflow? Just raise your hand if you've actually, wow, that's a lot. That's great. And actually, how many people have registered accounts? You don't have to. It's okay if you don't. Yeah. Uh, so one way we try to keep the site clean is say, okay, if you're going to talk about Stack Overflow, don't really do it here. Uh, we didn't really have a good destination for a long time, but we finally built meta.stackoverflow.com. Uh, and you can see the question here is about, like, what's this less than three about? Um, you know, and it's a fair question. Like, why would we put that in the mail? Um, and what he's referring to is this is the footer of the mails that we sent out. It's very primitive HTML styling because that's all you can really do in email. Uh, but we put in a little, uh, you know, less than three. And the cool thing about Meta was that somebody jumped in and explained, you know, this is the type of community we're trying to build. This is a communi community predicated on shared passion for programming. Um, and the fact that we have somebody coming in and explaining in a patient way to someone, oh, that's, you know, that means, you know, Stack Overflow loves you. <laughs> and I didn't have to answer this. This is Kyle. This is not even me, right? But I would have been happy to explain it to him. Uh, so that really cuts to, to the heart of the matter of, of what we're trying to do, is, is build something that is a manifestation of what we all enjoy doing together, and then we can actually get better at it. Now, there's, there's something interesting about Stack Overflow in that we're kind of, I don't want to say tricking you, but there's, there's things we do on Stack Overflow, things I'm explicitly doing on Stack Overflow, to get programmers to do a certain thing. That's why it's a Q&A format and not just let's discuss everything. You know, we could discuss, you know, what kind of beer we like, and, and that's a fun discussion, but it doesn't really help me professionally as a programmer. So when you keep the focus on tightly on questions and answers, you tend to get a better quality of sort of professional task-based uh, discussion rather than just random discussion, which is what typically happens if you don't put any parameters on it. Now, why this is important is because you end up becoming very good at a certain type of thing. If, if you participate heavily on Stack Overflow, you'll find that you get better at X. But what X is might actually surprise you. And this is where the book Coders at Work is going to come back to haunt us because one thing that struck me about this book was as I read it, all these programmers were saying, a lot of them, not all of them, were saying the same thing. Now, you don't, this is sort of like my blog in that you don't have to read the whole thing. This is violating every rule of presentations, by the way, just a wall of text. Uh, but all you have to read is the bold part, okay? 
Here's Douglas Crockford, who's like this amazing JavaScript guru who works at Yahoo, telling people he doesn't want them to major in computer science. He wants them to major in English because communication ends up being the gating factor in a lot of programming. Uh, Joshua Block, who is a chief Java architect at Google currently, uh, is actually re recommending the book Elements of Style, which has nothing to do with programming. Or does it? Right? I mean, that's sort of the, the epiphany moment that you have, is that if you can be a really good, really concise communicator, that's the kind of programs you're going to write to. If you're just a spray of wall of text at the wall kind of person, that's the kind of program you're going to write to. So that's sort of the surprising intersection of just writing and writing code is that they're much more closely related than, than people realize. The other cool thing about Stack Overflow is that it makes you explain yourself in a way that other people can actually freaking understand what you're talking about. So, right, so instead of going to a person, they had this policy of like, before you can even talk to a person, you have to talk to this stuffed animal. You have to explain what the problem is, what, what you've done to troubleshoot it, all the things you think it might be. And half the time, by the time, and this has actually happened to me on Stack Overflow, I get about 50% of the question, and I'm like, oh yeah, of course. Obviously, that's the problem. And like, I, I realized the solution, just the act of asking the question in a directed way has guided me towards the solution. So really, when you're posting on Stack Overflow, this is your audience, right? <laughs> you know, we're the stuffed dolls that help you figure out the problems that you have because you have to be totally dedicated to your problem in a way that makes us believe that you're going to do everything you can to solve it, and that inspires us to help you. And we have to explain this to people on Stack Overflow all the time. It's like, oh, I want the immediate answer. It's like, well, what have you done to try to solve the problem? Like, convince us that you are invested in this problem and you're actually willing to do what it takes, whatever it takes, to solve it. And this final quote, this is the last one, I won't beat you over the head with quotes. Uh, Joe Armstrong, who is the uh, guy who designed Erlang at Ericsson, and his advice for universities was pr produce graduates that can write and argue coherently. Right? Don't, don't produce you know, genius computer scientists, produce genius communicators. So to the extent that Stack Overflow, it, it's kind of gaming you into becoming a better communicator because the type of posts that tend to get upvoted, the type of things that tend to be very popular on the site are the things where somebody is explaining something in a very, very clear way, in a way that makes sense. Maybe they did some little ASCII art diagrams. They really went the extra mile to make it clear, concise, and understandable to their fellow programmers. So that, to me, is the takeaway from Stack Overflow is that's, that's what you get out of it if you really participate a lot. So what I want to show you is I do want to show you, well, of course, the site, but you guys all know the site, so we don't need to bother with that. Uh, the interesting thing about running Stack Overflow is I spend so much time not coding. I mean, I write code. And actually, my idea of a good time is actually Saturday night, like trolling meta and figuring out some little way I can make Stack Overflow better is like an enjoyable Saturday night for me. Uh, but in addition to that, I'm also looking at uh, a lot of graphs about how our servers are doing. Uh, the network bandwidth we're using, CPU, memory, all that stuff. So it's a very holistic approach. We want to own the whole stack, so we have to really own the whole stack. We have to be looking at every little piece of this. Now, Cacti is an open source uh, graphing library that hooks into a lot of the stats that come back from the hardware. And what I want to show you here is actually this happened during, well, not quite during, but uh, Stack Overflow Dev Days LA. Uh, the night before at the speaker dinner, somebody told me, he's like, oh, on Twitter they're saying your site is down. <laughs> I was like, that can't be good. Uh, and sure enough, it was. And so what you're seeing here, that little dip on the, uh, between the 15th and the 16th is actually the outage. Um, and I actually blogged about it, too, just to be clear. And we have a close relationship with our ISP, so they actually sent us a picture of the piece of hardware that blew up 
that actually caused this outage. So that was kind of fun. But that's a big part of my day is just actually monitoring stuff. We also have, and then I want to talk about like two key pieces I think you should bring to any, I guess, web project. I can't really speak for you know, embedded projects and things like that. But as far as web projects go, uh, an integrated build system. So what you're seeing here is our cruise control dashboard, cruisecontrol.net, which lets us build all the development tiers and all the production tiers uh, at, any given t at any given time. We have a policy on Stack Overflow. We deploy pretty much every night. So every day we try to build something new into the system that's, or fix some bug and actually deploy it. So that's, that's a stated goal of the system. Uh, the other thing we have is integrated uh, error logging. So anytime there's an error on in, any tier, we're able to go in and actually drill down into the errors and actually see what's going on. This is the live error stream. Um, this no form found in, with GUID, we think there's some proxies that are eating query strings that we're putting in. We're not entirely sure. Uh, but this is what I call the, 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 the trail of shame for development. And, and you have to have this, like the minute you start a project, the first thing you want to think is, where's my error logging? And how can I get it in front of every developer on the team every day? Uh, and this is the first thing we check every morning. It's like, let's look at our error log. Let's see what's going on and see what we can fix. Uh, and of course, you can, of course, drill down into this, see what's going on, get all the details, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, I, but I'm very gung-ho about this, the point that I won't even start a project until this piece is actually in place, because I believe so strongly in that feedback loop of, we're having problems, we need to fix the problems. The tighter that loop can be, uh, the better off your project is going to be in terms of health in the long run. Another piece of monitoring that we do is we just split Stack Overflow into two web servers. For a long time, we were on one web server, and that lasted until about roughly a million page views a day. And then we started to get close enough to the top that I was a little worried, because we didn't, you're not supposed to go above like 80% because of like queuing theory, you're supposed to have that 20% for, you know, this one goes to 11 kind of stuff. Um, so we actually went ahead and split the servers, and we used this open source thing called HAProxy. Now HAProxy is cool because, you know, we don't have a rule of we have to use everything in the Microsoft stack. I'm a big C-sharp fan. I'm a big fan of ASP.NET, uh, modern ASP.NET. Big fan of MVC that you saw Scott demo. I, I love it. It's great. It, it sort of fits my mental model of how web, web dev should have been like from day one. Uh, unfortunately, we're just now sort of figuring that out, but uh, that's another conversation. Uh, but I love the Microsoft stack, but we also love things outside the Microsoft stack. HAProxy runs on Linux, so this is running on a Linux virtual machine, uh, and we have no problem incorporating it into our tool set. Um, and this is actually live, so you're seeing the number of connections that are going to Stack Overflow Web 1 and Web 5, which is our two uh, balanced web server tiers. And if you've ever done this, and we have a podcast and we talked to the Reddit guys, and they told us that the, the big engineering challenge was uh, going from one web, one web server to two. And, and they were right. I mean, it, it wasn't super mega difficult, but there was definitely a hurdle there in terms of you just can't have a lot of shared state for that to work. But the cool thing is, once you get over this hurdle, we could add like 10 web servers. We don't really need to, because uh, the stack is pretty efficient. Uh, but it was a really fun engineering exercise to actually go through this and control all the parts of it, set up HAProxy, get everything working, uh, and deliver it. I guess I should mention my blog. If it, I probably should have done this at the top. But a lot of people who know me know me from my blog, so just as an aside. Uh, and I think that's all I really have as far as I, I do want to get us back on track and a little bit early. Um, should I do questions, Joel? Yeah, do questions. Okay, <laughs> so I'll, I'll open up the floor. Does anybody have questions about Stack Overflow? Anything I've talked about? I saw you first. Uh, we don't really have it all in memory, but we have an old school 
not intentionally, but we have kind of an old school model of the database, which is like it's traditional SQL Server, let's just throw as much memory at it as, as we can. Um, and I think what we found is, at least for our schema and what we're doing, which is not super mega comp, we're not Facebook, right? We don't have these connections. Um, it scales really well. Like we have, our server has 48 gigs of memory, and that's hosting uh, all the Trilogy sites, which is uh, Stack Overflow, Server Fault, Super User, Meta Stack Overflow.com, and of course, Careers. And it's only using, I want to say, 32 gigs of memory at the moment. So it's not even getting to the limit. Um, now, where it starts to get scary for us is when we start to actually hit that limit. <laughs> then we either have to buy a bigger box or figure out some way of sharding and partitioning and buying smaller boxes. So I think that the high scalability blog is excellent, by the way. I highly recommend it. We read it while building Stack Overflow because you know, we were researching all our options and stuff. And it's really just one, one available strategy. And it's just surprising to me how far it, it goes, given the price of today's hardware and memory is so cheap. Uh, the high available, uh, the scalability, what's high scalability? If you just search for high scalability blog, it'll be like the first hit. He's profiled a bunch of sites uh, like uh, MySpace and uh, YouTube, and it's really, really fascinating reading if you're into that stuff. Uh, you well, we kind of split the. Div What's that? Oh, sorry. The question was about Stack Exchange, and it's it's a simple answer because we don't we kind of have two parallel development teams on that. So the interaction at the moment is pretty limited, just because they had a deadline, we have deadlines. Um, but we're going to circle back together next year, early next year, and have a more coherent development strategy. Because right now it's basically just fork, which is kind of punting, right? <laughs> but we're going to circle back, and that's when it gets hard. Sorry, I'll repeat the questions. Yeah? I think it's really a combination. I think when we sat down and designed Stack Overflow, I had a very mashup type sensibility to, I, I, I've seen things that I believe work, and I'm going to take all of them, but just the pieces that I think work really well. Right? We took the editing piece from Wikipedia, and we didn't even take all that, right? Because you can't, you can't edit until you get enough reputation. Um, there's rules around that. And badges was pretty much explicitly stolen from the Xbox because the achievement system was just, I thought, so cool and, and very clever in the way that it sort of made you discover the, what you were doing. Uh, and then, of course, reputation systems are, I think, known to work, upvote, downvote. So I think it's the combination. I don't think it's one or the other. I think it's like put as many compelling, interesting things in there as you can. And then at the end of that, you, know, you become a better developer. That's the fun part. Whereas World of Warcraft has a leveling mechanism, but what do you really get at the end of that? I mean, you get entertainment, but professionally, does it help you? I mean, not rarely, probably. Somebody <laughs> uh, yeah. We are big link to SQL, because the question was about what is the data model. Uh, we are big link to SQL fans. Um, it's super lightweight, but I, I have a certain, I like to use the lightest thing that I can get away with. And it just, you know, I don't want a lot of heavy persistence layers and stuff. And link to SQL actually works pretty well for that. There are some limitations, and you know, it's kind of been, I don't want to say deprecated, but it's been, it's sort of like the little brother of like entity, whatever the heck that is they're calling it this week. Um, <laughs> but uh, we love it. And I think Miguel from Mono also thinks it's really cool. It, it, it's just a really nice lightweight thing. If, if you're into lightweight data models, you will like Link to SQL a lot. And Link is a language construct, so that's just part of the language. But that's what we're using. 
Uh, question there in the back. stored procedures, this is kind of a religious issue. I mean, if you're using them and you like them, obviously continue to do that. I, I'm of the opinion that having used stored procedures is like, they're kind of like database assembly language. They end up being really overkill for a lot of the stuff that you're doing, and a lot of the performance benefits aren't really there anymore, because as, you should always use parameterized SQL. Let me be 100% clear on that. Never use anything but parameterized SQL. That's the minimum, right? And that's what we do, of course, in addition to the link calls that we make. Um, but if you need to go to a proc, make sure you really need that performance. I mean, you're at some critical juncture where, like, this, this is thing is called, you know, you're at that 90-10. This is the 10% of code that determines most of your performance. That would be my personal rule with uh, procs. I'm not against them, but you have to prove to me that there's this really serious performance benefit from doing so because there's just so many tr other trade-offs uh, involved. But that's, you know, personal opinion. Let me get one over here. It was actually CPU. It was actually CPU. I mean, uh, ASP.NET is really, really efficient, but there's just a lot of throughput. I mean, it's just a numbers game at some level. And on the web tier, anyway, uh, CPU started to get a little peaky. And a lot of it, honestly, Google. Google would, would crawl us like crazy, which we like Google because they give us 90% of our traffic. Um, but we could have, and one thing Joel suggested that was actually a good idea, move Google to their own server to get rid of some of the peaks. Because Google tends to spider you at times when, like, like hey, could you maybe wait till like 5 p.m. and spider us? <laughs> But they don't really do that. So we, we weren't really that close, but it's something I think it was kind of a, from an engineering perspective, it was fun. It was like, well, let's solve this fun problem, which we actually kind of have. Um, but it was a little bit anticipatory. We could have gotten by uh, without it. We could have sent Google to another server. There's ways we could have attacked it that were different. But this was the pure engineering solution of just get rid of your shared session. So session was the big, you know, the shared state that you have. Luckily, we didn't have much of it. And I think I'm out of time. So if anybody has any other questions for me, I'll be around. So feel free to grab me and, you know, discuss whatever. So thank you guys for coming. You're tuned to the Stack Overflow podcast edition of the Stack Overflow Handful Minutes joint podcast. Two great Starring. guys. You're not going to wait until I get mine started? Scott Babbed Hanselman. Well, no, we got to wait. we got to wait. Well, no, I'm, I'm recording. I don't know about you. Inventor of the question mark. <laughs> Jeff, horror coding at Wood. Yes. Of Dev Days. And uh, some other guy. An Apple fanboy. No, no Apple fanboy. Okay, okay, fine. And uh, great shoes. Thank you. Glory no, of life. Are those Mario's? Um, I got them at Saks. They're not Mario's. They're Taboo. Careful. I think. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you so is it more interesting to talk about recording about talking about software than it is to write software? Well, we all seem to be blogging about blogging back in the day, right? So. <laughs> well, let's talk about the, the conference that we're Okay, let's tell people what we're doing here. Yeah, what are we doing here? This is a this is okay, this is like nested because we were doing a <clears throat> podcast that we were recording backstage at Stack Overflow Dev Day, San Francisco edition, one of ten Stack Overflow Dev Day events. And this is the San Francisco one, it's pouring outside. And there's a little break going on right now, so people are eating cookies and, and, and uh, coffee and stuff like that. 
and uh, we're doing a joint podcast just because this was too big an opportunity. There was just too much star power assembled for too much to star avoid power this. Well, and we're actually recording this. I think a black hole is forming, actually, uh-huh. from all the towns. Well, you know, if John C. Warren was here... about the egos colliding and oh. becoming too dense and then Sorry. Them, so I, don't think, I don't think Joe's actually going to let go of the mic, so you and three of us will have to share it. And we're actually recording it three times. Right? Oh, we're recording it on this... We're recording. I'm actually going to put it myself in the mirror. Oh, yeah. Look at that. Wow, this is meta. Let's <laughs> all just focus on the guys in the mirror. We've got Joel's and Jeff's recorded that stuff there. Yep. We've got uh, this thing I'm holding, yep. and we've yep. got this microphone, and then the wire that Rory has underneath his shirt. And, and actually, Jeff, ga- Jeff hey, gave this me is, this. Uh, this is too oh, much inside know, baseball. Nobody cares, we have to nobody cares about what Jeff gave me. Jeff gave me that. That's nice. I, I like to give people things. I looked at him and I was like, I want that. And he was like, okay. I was and, but it doesn't it. have a super user sticker on the side, I noticed. And it would well, I tried, to, I tried to not put anything on and I tried to make it clear. He gave you a Belkin <laughs> thing. Yeah, he gave me that. It's nice. Can we have a podcast? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, well, I, my suggestion is let's talk yeah. about the conference so far. And actually, I would like to get you guys' impression. Given that Joel and I are all in, like insiders. and That's right. I think that the whole thing has been a complete and utter... Uh, Failure. No, I mean, but just chaos, just utter and complete cluster. chaos. A cluster yeah. F. Well, can, can can I say one thing? Just Joel because is... behind the scenes, just trying to get the audio visual for this yes. conference, the speakers lined up, the food to arrive, the various UPS shipments, internet, like that. internet, <clears throat> excuse yeah. me, yeah, and internet access, which is not possible at a one hundred dollar a day conference. I can tell you now. Right. Well, Joel is very meticulous about this stuff. Maybe it's a reflection of how you do software as well, but Joel. Wants everything to be just so, and I, I respect that actually. I think that's great yeah. because you want a good experience for the people coming to the conference, and you and want them to have positive thoughts about the conference. And it's things that are out of my control, like the internet in this venue. We got to get a picture of that on the. Uh, I've got it on my iPhone. We got to get that on the podcast. The internet for this venue uh, is one of those like little ten, one hundred um, network routers, the little, little tiny ones, little tiny ones that you use in your car or something, and, all, and connect it to. For the whole venue. For the whole venue connected to an airport express. And they were like, no problem doing 500 people. Absolutely. We, you can absolutely positively do that. <laughs> you no can problem. do six people. Great. And we haven't even really been able to get all the speakers reliably on the internet. Yeah. They I finally to, got you on. Yes. Finally, it just magically started working for and me. It's just so on, like the only off person and on and off. Yeah. But so that, that, that's, I think, our impression. And maybe, Rory, you would like to... Give your impression of so far. I'd love to do that. So I used to do this for a living, right? Oh yeah. For two years, I used to go around and give talks. And that's how many people went to those? You did this at Microsoft. How many people went? He to spoke those? at he spoke at movie. He, sorry, Rory spoke at movie theaters. Movie theaters where there was like Rory overflow theaters. and at overflow. Yeah, for a living. Projected on screens the next room over with right. Q and, and, and you, was, you pack it in. I packed it in. Wow. But I also sometimes spoke to nine people. That was the smallest audience I ever had. Wow. Um, but as far as how things have gone. Um, I kind of figured that things were chaos behind the scenes because trying to get nerds together and yeah. get a conference going is completely insane. And when I was talking to the Carsonified people about, yeah. okay, well, where are you going to be? What what restaurants do you want to go to? What hotels do you want? What flights do you want? I couldn't even believe I was getting an option. Because that's, no, it's yeah. really, really hard. Okay. They didn't give me an option. They didn't give me an option. Yeah, no, that's because uh, you have an employer who's supposed to be <laughs> promoting the product. Uh, <laughs> yeah, imagine the Microsoft. I you still have, you still I have to start away from right? Where did you eat? Uh, Boulevard. I, I ate a sandwich. Anyway, but you have the Microsoft green card, and I used to have that, and I know how it goes. But I yeah. was really surprised at how easy it was. So I, I know the impression is probably kind of that it's chaos, but it's been really easy and smooth cool. for me. I've had a good time. As a speaker. Yeah, as a speaker. As a speaker, yeah. And then that hasn't even been a problem for me. No, that's working. That's, that's working. working. We'll do that again a few times, please. I'll give you my audio. That's working great. That's We're going to have to share audio. 
Well, let me give you impressions. So I have I have taken straw polls of like Twitter and stuff. <laughs> so it's clapping. <laughs> and synchronized audio. <laughs> we only have, we have four people, three, we have six egos, we have two microphones. I know. Well, that's why we're going to do a handoff. It's like CB <laughs> radio. The audio is poor. I'm going to say something over. And then okay. Uh, but I want to give the impressions because I have taken straw polls on Twitter and just asked a few people. But yeah. you know, this is a very inexpensive conference. You have to realize that doing this at the $99 level, which Joel wanted to do, and it was to make it accessible to everybody. And it's a real challenge. Even the homeless not necessarily the homeless, <laughs> uh, but you know your average everyday developer can actually pay their own money for this. What does everybody say that everybody's what? What's, what's, what's wrong with what I'm saying? <laughs> so, so you, Joel, hey. Joel, I, I, I did a podcast with Rory uh, a year ago, and it was actually called the worst, worst podcast, podcast ever. ever. That was the title. Okay, that's what we see. It's because, it's because Rory's here. Yeah. Uh, it's the Rory factor. <laughs> yes, he is. Well, do, do you guys, well, you well, maybe no, a bad no. idea. We Let's can edit that stuff out. Well, Joel's also very particular about con- content. Is there something like content that you don't like that I'm going to No, 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 no. It's okay, I'm sorry. Oh, it's it's well, just, just let me know. Ta-da. Okay. It's a whole new Joel. Well, let's, I'm going to turn on my radio voice now. Hi, this is Scott Hanselman, and this is another episode of Hanselman slash Stack Overflow. Coming to you from another space and time. Did you get? Give me that one. Coming to you from another space and time. And uh, here Place we are, content-free, <laughs> backstage at Stack Overflow. Brought to you by Teleric. Is it brought to you by Teleric? I don't know. I don't, I'm not in charge of your Ours is brought to you by IT Conversations. Yes. Uh, the conference is brought to you by all kinds of people: Stack Overflow, Carsonify, Fogbugs, Smart Bear Software, um, Codera paid for the Wi-Fi, <laughs> which we did really good. Uh, really couldn't turn on, but yes, uh, yeah. And uh, it was a nice thought. And Microsoft. Oh, Microsoft is here in the lobby, upgrading everybody's laptops. That was sweet. That was pretty nice. How come that wasn't announced? Because that was... Because they didn't want people to bring their laptops. <laughs> oh, I see. They didn't want to let people know. But yeah. <laughs> Too many. But now everybody who's coming to Seattle will presumably know to bring their laptop and, and just put in like a 16K chip or something. You're like, I got 16K. <laughs> and, um, Seriously, he's upgrading everyone to four gigs. He's upgrading them to the maximum of their laptops and all. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's Brandon Watson actually is doing that. He's our cloud services guy. Yeah. All <sighs> part of the value proposition of the dip days. This has been an episode. <laughs> so, so let, let me ask you this: It's a pretty mixed crowd. It and is. It was. A, it's an exceeding. Oh, yeah, it was that. really difficult. Uh, I felt for me to present what I was doing because at the end, uh, a couple of the Merb guys said, "That was really great. Thanks a lot for coming. I'm still going to write Merb, right? I mean, I wasn't yeah. here to pitch them. We were just really here to kind of chat, right? Yeah. I mean, like the, the my my idea of this conference is that. If you're a good developer, you're constantly encountering technologies that you wish you had time to learn about and kind of want to spend more time with. And pretty much everything we're doing, jQuery, Android, uh, iPhone, those kind of things that like, I really need to learn something about this and see if it's that interesting. And so we thought the most appealing possible kind of conference would be like, hey, these are the five, six technologies that people most want to learn this year and haven't. And like the fewest people know, but the most people have heard of and wish they could sort of learn a little bit more about. Um, so that was sort of the organizing theme, I think. Well, it's also reflective of the actual user base of Stack Overflow. It's very diverse. 
Yeah. You know, we're trying to pitch to people, you know, get outside your ghetto a little bit. Like, rub shoulders with how other developers do that's things. That's the tagline? Get outside your ghetto. That's the informal, that's the informal tagline. <laughs> Not the official one. Uh, but it really is like that. I mean, you have the ghettoization where all I do is X, and I don't really know or care about any of this other stuff that's going on. Like, for example, and this might be embarrassing to admit, but like seeing Roy do Objective-C was really the first time I had really seen Objective-C and actually looked at was it. Was it the first time you'd ever seen C? <laughs> no, I've seen C before. But Objective-C is a whole different animal. Uh, it kind of made my face hurt a little, like, watching yeah, that part uh, of it. What are those little dashes? Uh, little, what, what little, little dashes? Little the dashes. lines. The lines start with a dash in Objective C. Sometimes. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, if a line starts with a dash in Objective C, it means it's an instance method. If okay. it starts with a plus, it means it's a static method. Uh, okay. I mean, it's intuitive and obvious. So, got it. <laughs> I would have guessed comment. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you, you, what you, what you're talking about, like a one of these, yeah. right? Yeah. Hi. Hi. Horizontal yeah. line yeah. thing. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Dash. Yeah, it's it's the letter W from the bottom. <laughs> you, you, tip, you take a W and you tip it up, and you look at it from the bottom. It looks like a dash. I've never. Oh well, I've never. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, so you got a W and you tip it this way. Oh, and you oh. get a dash. He's going so into he, he went to the third dimension. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. a lot. Yeah, yeah, that's a whole extra, yeah, fifty percent more dimensions than I have on my screen. So yeah. But using me as a probably bad example is like this is my opportunity to get exposed to iPhone development. Like. Probably literally for the first time, seeing it, like any kind right. of detail, somebody run through it in the IDE. Because I mean, who has time, right? Yeah. Like, I'm kind of busy with the things well, that I'm doing, yeah. so it's it's nice to get sort of jolted a little bit. And that is kind of the goal of Stack Overflow. And when Joel set it up, he did a good job of matching the spirit of Stack Overflow to the spirit of the conference. I thought. So so why wouldn't I just watch it online? Say, what's the is it the, is the fact that we're forced into the theater and we we're we're here like it's like a parade Boy. of different technologies? If why you saw how hard it was to get microphones working at this conference, the idea of also getting cameras recording at this conference is above and beyond. Are you you're not recording it? No. no. Well, I actually have some of it on this day, but not the people that are speaking right you now. You didn't use stream it or anything? No. No. We don't have internet. Yeah. What this internet? is so ghetto. It, it's, it's not nice to use the word ghetto for what this conference is. <laughs> But uh, I think it's, it's a ninety nine dollar conference. It's an entry level conference. To call this conference ghetto, I think doesn't do the word ghetto a service. Yes. Okay. This is not a bad conference. No, but we're trying to do it in a, in a very no, economic way. That thing. Okay. Yeah. You're being <laughs> really hard on yourself. And 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 because you know, I'm, I'm serious. Just so. No, no, I'm serious. So like after doing so many of these things, like talking about the problems with it's the mic, very, it's very I walked right in, and both times just stuck the lapel right, yeah, on my right on me, and it worked right and. And I actually went in the back and I was talking to Scott in the dressing room and I had the lapel mic on the whole time. Yeah. I never switched it in or out of standby. I had no idea that it was actually on, but it turns out I wasn't broadcasting because the staff was good yeah. enough to know that. Well, that was on Ustream. Well, but. No, no, yeah, you're right. So they've actually been really, really the good. organizers. Yes, sure. Carcinif carcinified? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Carcinified. 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 Yeah. Yeah, I, the only thing that's wrong with this conference at this point is the internet. Right. And. That's every that's, yeah, that's every conference. No one yeah, ever expects right. to get an IP address at a conference. Right, right. That's no way. Yeah, it can't be done. That's what we. That's the what we the food was really good, though. They, you probably picked that. Yeah. No, they they, they figured that out. Well, that's okay because it was not good in LA, so we're making up for that. Yeah, but it, it was, was good, good here in Boston. It was good in. Uh, okay. Well, what's the plan for Seattle on Wednesday? I, I don't know. I get surprised. I get surprised by this every time. We'll see who we have. Um, Do you know who's coming? Like, you have speakers. Speak. I think so. I don't know. I can't remember. You, Rory. I am Rory. Rory. Not Jeff. Me. Not me. Uh, there will be a few others. This, uh, we got an academic guy, Steve Seitz. 
in uh, from University of Washington. Cool. Um, yeah, I, I'm gonna be surprised once again. Yeah. Are you tired? I'm also kind of tired. <laughs> yeah. Tell them your schedule. I don't even know my schedule. Oh, every other day. Yeah, I'm basically doing one of these conferences Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for three and a half weeks. Yeah. Wow. So that's what that's what's kind of killing me. Hey, I have an idea. Yeah. So, since, 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 since this has gone nowhere in 14 minutes, and even though Rory is raising his hand, you have a question? Well, as I should, is, this, actually is this the first conference you've ever put on? Pretty much. Okay, you really do need to be using it yourself. Yeah, this is going fun. very well. Like, okay. Yeah, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So, Thanks. what's all this about duct tape? Uh, oh, we're going to talk about content. Like, this is going to be substantial. Otherwise, I'm just going to delete it. <laughs> duct tape. I think people misunderstood what I meant about duct tape. Duct tape is a simple tool that gets something done. And, and the duct tape programmer, I like invented that word instead of saying quick and dirty programmer or anything like that, because that's not what I meant. I meant this is a different kind of programmer who is always afraid to use like these latest gadgets that they just heard about on Hansel Minutes a week before that just came out, which are awesome. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes you have a really critical project and you're trying to get it to work. Listen, let me give you an example just from, just from the conference, all the audiovisual of the conference. You've got, and we know this is podcasters, we all know this is podcasters. This is a real mic. This is a professional mic. This connector is. Yeah, thanks for that. In my back. That's going to screw my mic. In my back. My back. My back. That's your back. That's an XLR connector. It's balanced. There are three, there are three power, there are three uh, wires going through here. Yes, it's, it's balanced. It's, it's not from two. Radio Shack. It's not from Radio Shack. You could get, maybe, no, not this nice. And um, you've got it plugged into um, decent M audio gear. Now we could be using one of those little Radio Shack cheapo or Kmart microphone, you know, that comes like my first karaoke machine. And you could have it plugged into a laptop. And you're like, what's wrong? It's a metal laptop. It's got a little mic port on the side. And you could try to do a podcast that way. It would kind of work. And after 15 minutes, your little recorder app would crash, or just things would go wrong. And the same thing happens at a conference. You've got kind of high-end AV tools, high-end video tools, high-end internet access. And if you don't have that, then it doesn't work. It's so the internet access they have here is the Airport Express. That's a consumer-grade thing. That's not a high-end thing, and it just falls down. It doesn't, doesn't work one of these conferences. So, so, it's so what about duct tape? So the duct tape programmer says, listen, I know that you've got your fancy digital gigaw that I can get for only $19.95, and it's all awesome, and it lets me run my whole conference digitally, and all the mics could be digitizing right here and sending it onto an IP network and blah, 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 blah. And they never ever do that in real conferences and real shows and real plays. They use the same old old school, this XLR thing was invented in 1903 or something. I mean, it's the same exact interface that's been around since the beginning of time. No, Which was 1903. Well, I don't know, since the beginning of like electronics. The XLR is a ridiculously old interface. Bruce Dickinson. <laughs> uh, nice. It's from the oldie, the, old, the oldie days of radio. Right. When, when before, before the three of us were born. Certainly. And that stuff still works. It's like simple. So, so you're saying it's about the classic? No, no, no. Hold on. Let me make sure. Let me. Re- you played it. That was a joke grenade. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So let me make sure I understand. So it's yeah. about two things. It's about pro level versus consumer level. Yeah. It's also about tools that have like a long history of being well established and well understood. So there's a guy, the guy doing the mic, Roy, that you were saying was doing an awesome job, and he needed to cut you off and stuff like that. He's been on the road. He's been a roadie for 30 years. He's been doing rock concerts. He has that. He. He had that look. I mean, I yeah, looked at yeah. him, and he looks like a roadie who's been doing this for. Yep. And not just that, you didn't even catch this, but in the, in the morning, he had a way of talking to you that put you at ease mm-hmm. about the AV, which he's learned after 30 years of how to make the performers not stress out about the equipment. Mm-hmm. 
and you know, just that kind of like telling little funny jokes and stuff like that, and just basically calming everybody down that's around him. Bedside manner. Bedside manner, exactly. And that's just like it takes a lot of experience. It takes a lot of. And he's not going to use some new crazy ridiculous. He's just going to plug in, the, and you're going to be like, why don't you have this all on a big old audio IP network <clears throat> with super? And then instead of having 400 of these cables going from the front of the house to the back of the house. You got one little cat five, which somebody steps on all down, and nobody knows what happened because it's interfering with some who knows what. And with the XLR, it's a well, you know, it's a solved problem. It's a well-known problem to balance cables and whatnot. So it's also known versus unknown. Yeah. New stuff tends to be less well-known, less tested, just by yep. virtue of being newer. Yep. It's kind of a little bit suspect, even though it's better. Yeah. Other ultimately, it will effects. be better. Ultimately, we may want to use it. It may win. So is this about picking a thing, picking a technology to get the job done at the appropriate level on the adoption curve? Like for example, I picked Vonage. Yeah. Like I don't know, six years ago. Yeah. And it sucked. Yeah. For about five years. Uh -huh. But I haven't had a problem with Vonage for the last year. <laughs> so you guys want that as Nobody did it all seriousness though. Yeah. Like yeah. it's solved now. Voice over IP worked, but it took a half decade to like pull it off. Right, and that's, that's I think people don't realize how long it takes for some of the the, the technologies that we're using in code to like get to that point where you understand it well enough. I mean, we're always, especially given the web and the nature of things going on, see, did your, see your computer just... So my computer, so you're going to tease me now, my computer is just either falling apart yeah. or no, shut it's just, uh, it's just like screensaver time now. I'm not yeah, I don't know that. what's going on. But that, you can't have that happening in a conference. In fact, it did happen this morning. A little movie stopped in the middle. <laughs> because, well, uh, because this, this is actually a yeah. battery right. for that. Oh. Mm. I see. These require phantom power. So That's also your iPhone battery, isn't it? Yes, that is a bad, that is my best portable battery pack slash laptop. <laughs> <laughs> I remember one of my favorite photos is Scott carrying a little uh, like a ultra mini PC and like using it to power his iPhone while he's talking. He's like, this is my battery pack for my iPhone. So, yeah. so why do people get all in a twist about the duct tape programmer? Um, I think that what they, they, they saw a duct tape programmer and they thought of the, the, the style of programmer who just slapped some duct, duct tape on something. And that is something that a duct tape programmer will do. Because A, duct tape is well understood. And B, sometimes it is you're in a rush to ship so that your company doesn't go out of business and it is worth incurring technical debt. Right? Like we all, we all everybody's saying technical debt these days mm -hmm. is if that's a bad thing, you're going to have to pay that down. But technical debt, another way of looking at it is technical leverage. It allows you to get code done more quickly so that you can ship it. Now then there are people that are just really, really determined to say that being an extremely slow and cautious developer and writing TDD tests for all your getters and setters is, uh, actually makes you write code faster. And most of the good developers I know, many of the good developers I know don't actually think that way. Um, so, so that's, wait, whoops, now I just got myself in trouble without even getting myself out of trouble. But uh, what happened is, that the people read the article of the duct tape program and they said, uh-oh, Joel's about to write saying dirty programming is good, sloppy programming, gunslingers, fastest gun in the West, whatever, bad, crappy programming is good. And that is not what I was saying at all, right. whatsoever. So it seems like if you had said something more like <clears throat> yeah. software craftsmanship is good or the Yankee Workshop is a great show on PBS Would because really he boring. used... Well, I know, oh, you, so, so the title was link bait. Oh, no, but, but so it has to be... Like, like, don't, yeah. don't, don't you... I mean, I, I shop at Ikea... Yeah. And I come home and I sit on my IKEA couch and I watch the Yankee workshop and I see how this guy's like using like the tools that Laura Ingalls Wilder's grandfather used <laughs> to make, you know, and he works for six months to make a, a chair and that chair will live forever. Yeah. And don't you kind of sit on your IKEA couch and gosh wish that you had maybe that I tool. had that kind of tool or that talent or that the, the, the whatever the work. Um, sometimes, sometimes it's worth doing, and sometimes 
it doesn't make sense because you're just opening a coffee shop that's going to have the best coffee in Portland and you want to get a couch that people can sit on so that you can open it and you have X dollars and having the nicest crafts and blah, 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 blah is not going to bring you any closer to having a successful coffee shop. So you kind of have to decide and sometimes you're not, not everything, it's not always appropriate to use the most gold-plated tool in the world for what you're doing. Sometimes it's worth just knocking something out and getting it out to the people so they can use it and try it and give you money for it. I just want to say I'm also totally not advocating that people go out and just do really sloppy job stuff, but yeah. and I'm not naming any names or any people or any companies, but I have been involved in some projects since leaving Microsoft where there were times since when... Since leaving Microsoft? Yeah. Since, <laughs> since leaving Microsoft. Where, where there were times when release of software was delayed because there was a perfectionist aspect to the code. And the mm -hmm. reality is when users are using your stuff, like they don't know what it looks like underneath and they don't care if it works and if it's not perfectly done, it doesn't really matter. Like get it out there and then give yourself like See, the version two. Maybe that comes to, right to back to this it. whole conference, which, which is I'm sitting here stressing out like crazy because all kinds of stuff is not working behind the scenes. But the bottom line is the speakers are on stage and they're teaching people stuff and their laptop is being projected on the monitor yeah. and the people are sitting in the audience and learning. And that's all we need. Well, yeah, you're, you're stressing out about stuff that I had no idea was even going on. You didn't even know it was going on. Yeah, and you're a speaker, and, let alone a... Yeah, yeah. and it feels... F I didn't detect it's, any problems. It so. went very smoothly. We yeah. arrived, I walked on stage, the equipment worked, and I did my talk, people applauded, I stepped off. I didn't have a problem with anybody. It was as smooth as ever. Yeah. Except for the wireless. Except yeah. for those Merb guys. Right. And those darn Merb guys. <laughs> What's a Merb again? <laughs> what, it's what is like it a, it's another MVC framework, like for like Rails, but it's not Rails. I thought Rails itself was okay. It's another Ruby. It's Ruby. It's a. I think it's a Ruby MVC framework. It's an MVC framework for Ruby. Okay. But it's fun. It's more fun to say Merb yeah. than it is to say Rails. It so is. They use it, it sounds like a guy. Sometimes yeah. a dude named Merb was out there. I'm not, I'm not even. If I state my opinion of, of the Ruby <laughs> programmer, this is this is this is this 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 four brains in a room thing has turned into. Let's see what wacky stuff we can get Joel to say. <laughs> I'm giving up the microphone here to Rory. He hasn't spoken oh, yeah. enough. So when it comes down to what wacky stuff can we get someone to say, let's give the mic to Rory. Um, okay, could you give me like a question or something? Do you just want me to extemporize? Oh, your sister was here. I was like, just talk for hours. Seriously, what, I'm sorry, what? Your sister was here, what did you think? My sister was here. Yeah, your sister's sister just a programmer? She's not exactly a programmer. She worked for the San Francisco bar. She was like a clerical worker. And There's only one bar. The, the bar? The San Francisco bar. The whole, you know, the attorney the thing, bar. right? Oh, <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah, she's not like, yeah, the bar, no, it's, it's a whole attorney. The bar right? and, uh, San Francisco bar. And uh, uh, she didn't really, she wasn't a coder, she was just doing like data entry, and she didn't like the data entry uh, after using those written access, so she went and decided to just rewrite the thing without asking anybody, <laughs> and eventually changed the way that her department was uh, doing their business, and then... That's so like a people, classic software engineering story. No, it was awesome. And, and some people were so impressed that they were like, hey, why don't we go off and start a business? So now she runs a business that specializes in providing uh, web and software services to people in the legal profession. She doesn't actually code, like, code code. But I went to her office yesterday, and she has, like, she has jQuery books on the shelf, which wow. I was like, sis has jQuery books, man. You don't need to know jQuery. He's right. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, no, there's, there's stuff my sister knows that I don't, and she just picked it up out of nowhere. How dare she? Right. And it's, 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 but she, she started coding almost before I did, right? Back in 1984, I think she, well, it was 83, 84, she wrote her first app, and like she kind of got me going. And so it was neat to have her here. It was really neat to have her here. And cool. I don't know, she dug it. So, wait, so wait, your sister actually wrote a program before you did? Okay, so I was writing software for the time in Sinclair 1000. Mm -hmm. in 1983 and 
she wrote the first app on an IBM PC. She beat me to that. All right, and I saw what she did, and I was jealous. And yeah. then I went, and I went up her, and then I two up her, and then I just, it was a factor of, you know, bajillion. So. Well, remember that the Time X Player 1000 was the programming, had the programming language where instead of saying print, which would take five bytes, you were P, period, to save three bytes. Well, they, it was just, yeah, they had that they had the weird keyboard where yeah. you didn't actually type, you would hit. There was a button that said print. Yeah, that would just yeah. stick everything, yeah, it was bizarre. And you had to retype it every single time because you had no storage format. Now it's just upgraded to, I think, 2K yeah. of RAM. It, it was a great Select. platform for learning because yeah. you had to write your app every single time you wanted to use it. It was a lot like those calculators that they had in those days, that, you know, like the, the TI, um, there's a text instruments programmable calculator and the HP 65. And, you know, you had about a hundred instructions that you could store and put every time and every time. But this hooked up to yeah. the TV. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Whoa. And... Yeah. Yeah. So... I missed that. I wrote a spreadsheet for one of them. No, I'm just kidding. Speaking of missing stuff, I, I, I miss when programming was, like, hard. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't, yeah. like, building stuff with Legos when you were actually inventing new kinds of Legos. You know what's funny is uh, how many we have we have speakers, how many of the speakers today that were basically doing, like, the first, your first VB 1.0 app. Like, oh, look, and then I click the cute, the cute guy, the iPhone. I mean, well... The iPhone we, guy. The iPhone guy. <laughs> <laughs> Explain right. who the cute guy was. The cute guy was uh, no, uh, like, Daniel Rocha. No, who, uh, he wasn't cute. No, no, yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in trouble. QT. QT. QT is Nokia's. Uh, well, now known by Nokia. Didn't know Q that. Yeah. But apparently pronounced Nokia. Yeah, it's definitely Nokia. Is uh, it really? Yeah, well, in Finnish, yeah. Oh. Didn't know that. I didn't know he spoke Finnish. See all the things you can learn at the Stack Overflow dev days? Wow. So, what did he actually do? What happened? Uh, he basically made an app. It was one of these hello world, like, look, look what I did in VB 1.0. I just made an edit box, and when you mm -hmm. click on it, it adds it to the list box below there. And his was kind of cool because it ran on Symbian devices and it ran on Unix and it ran on Mac, which you didn't show, and it ran on Windows. But, I mean, we're still doing these, we're still coming up with these new frameworks and everything like that, and the demo, it gets everybody started. It's always like, you know, look how I have a box, and I have a box that sends a text per, you know, parameter to a method on some other box that's on this page. And that's, uh, that's kind of what all these apps do. It's all Visual Basic 1.0. It, it, it is. You know, it's getting harder. Beginner, no, it is. And yeah. that's the exciting thing. And that's why I've always liked mobile. Yeah. Like when I went to the Bonga PC back in the day and it was just embedded Visual Basic and embedded uh, Visual C++, you really had to make a lot of stuff up. Right. And that's one of the reasons I enjoy the iPhone is that it's actually still hard. right? And You like the iPhone because it's hard to yeah. build for. And it, you, you have to deal with like... No, it's, funny, it's funny. When I was working in Visual Basic 6, the thing that I enjoyed the most was working on the Palm Pilot at night. Yeah, and one of the applications that I worked on in the Palm Pilot is I have a 4K stack, and I did the whole thing in C. The most, like the most, like, like you know, when you have a programming experience where you like lift your hands in victory, like hero on heroes, <laughs> like one of those experiences. It was drawing a circle. <laughs> yeah, really exactly, because the iPhone, the, the, the iPhone, the was the Palm Pilot. Computer? It was the Google Pilot application. Okay. I wrote an application for diabetics on the Palm Pilot, and what was significant about it was that there was no floating point, and there was no math library. Wow. So I had to take wow. an integer and chop it in half and do fixed point math, and then the screen was like 160 by 160 pixels, like an old QuickTime movie. Yeah. But there was talk about it going to 320 by 320, which was going to be huge. Uh, wow, or the GA or something. Yeah. So what I ended up doing was building a, an array, in uh, like a like a static resource that described a 1,000 by 1,000 circle, <laughs> and then scaled it appropriately, and then wrote cosine and sine. Stuff. And then I was like, all right, now I'm ready to draw some dots, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's no get pixel or put pixel on the early Palm Pilot, so then you're XORing it directly to memory. You know what I mean? 
And then, yeah. then you go and you show your wife, hey, I drew a circle on this tiny device. It's like, yeah, great. And you've been up how many nights? <laughs> and this is paying the, this is paying the mortgage how? Yeah, <laughs> the victory, you know what I mean? The accomplishment. Well, one thing I would like to comment on is that there's so much mobile here. I mean, it's really surprising how yeah. much energy there is in the mobile space that wasn't really there three to four years ago. Um, so between web and mobile, it's like what happened to the executable style or, you know, it's like where did that, that go? This seems to be where all the energy is right now. And yeah. just one comment on the iPhone stuff. and Because and it's ten times the penetration, right? Like you're going to reach ten times as many people on any little cell phone device as you ever can on the desktop. Because it's their computer. Yeah. Because it, it's even our computer, right? Everybody who has a laptop has a phone, and then there are all these people that just have phones. It's, it's their phone, too. Yeah. Right? That's the other crucial thing is that they, they have phones. Right. Like they got to have phones. Yeah. So that's, right. my, that's my really intelligent. Well, I was in... Um, <laughs> I, I, I was in... I was that in, was kind of stupid, right? I was in Tanzania a couple of... Uh, well, last, last Christmas, and we were driving between Arusha, Tanzania, and uh, the border, the southern border of Kenya to pick up my brother-in-law, and we were out in the middle of nowhere and I'm getting uncomfortable. And the brakes overheat, and the driver is pouring cold water on our brakes, and we're standing in the middle of nowhere. And I mean, there's no bigger words than that. I'm like, I am alone with this driver in freaking yeah. Kenya, ten and ten. That's why I look at my phone. Were there like skulls by the side of the road with like with the vultures attacking? It was. It was pretty much exactly like that. There's yeah. like you know African uh, what are those tumbleweeds going by yeah. and stuff. Wild and beast. then I see a, a guy in the distance, like, all right, now I'm going to get killed by a Maasai. Yeah. Well, he's, he was walking by, full Maasai regalia, the whole thing, texting. <laughs> he's texting. So I look, at my, I look at my Blackberry, and it says, can you sell five wow. bars? Wow. Cool. The, you could not see anything <laughs> in any direction. And we had five bars. Yeah. And people were chilling. Yeah. And they use SMS over there. Well, because that's Twitter. the best way to get on Twitter. Yeah, exactly. That's all my Maasai friends are Twitter. No, but they 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 do market. They have yeah. complete eBay marketplaces on SMS. Wow. Where they'll use short codes to describe what they're selling and hook up with with um, other people who are selling stuff. What? I was going to say, don't they also they have like these little one person mobile phone companies too? We're talking about oh, we're talking about African. Yeah, I'm talking about I'm talking about like the one person who has the cell phone. They like lease out cell phone time to the other right, people. Right. So if you're, it's not called. We're, we're talking about Africa. We're not talking about like the city. Right. Like if right. you go to the city, you can get an iPhone. I was sure. in Johannesburg, and they have an iPhone, and they have one of yeah. mobile phones, and they've got three G, and they're having a great time. No, no, I'm talking about the middle of nowhere where there's right. that you're one the middle person of nowhere. Who has the phone. Yeah. Yeah. So the person who owns a phone can set up a little table, and what they do, what they actually had there in, in Tanzania was a desk phone. Hmm. With a cell phone adapter, so basically you have like this cell phone that is just a uh, place to plug in your desk phone, hmm. and they would set up a cardboard box on the side of the road, and they would say it's like one shilling, one Tanzanian shilling per minute, and you can talk on the phone, and you just sit there on a desk phone in the middle of nowhere. And the cardboard box is for shade. No, the cardboard box is what the phone is sitting on. Oh, okay. <laughs> but but it, 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 back to your point, it's all about communication and. and uh, there's actually a buddy of mine who's uh, got a project called the Kamusi Project, which is trying to make an online Swahili dictionary, and he wants to make it available via SMS, so that someone who doesn't speak English could text an English word to the dictionary and then get back the equivalent word in Swahili. Cool. That would be like an example of a really cool app that you could write. That would not necessarily be like a, an iPhone app, it would be more like a text gateway. Yeah. Well, they're also using it for doing things like, uh, I know that in India, um, to ensure the produce, like, so they don't 
purchase more inventory, say like dairy perishable items than they could ever actually use. Like they've got these really complicated networks of people who are just SMSing each other and ordering like a certain amount of dairy based on a certain amount of orders, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's kind of bizarre, like how totally integral the whole thing is. Like, it's like, it's like Firefox for dairy. Yes! It's just like Firefox for dairy. Yeah, no, that's what it was like. I hope that our listeners can write in the comments about if, if you are, in fact, from Africa or from India, from way out in the middle of nowhere to uh, validate that we're not just a bunch of white guys talking about uh, we don't know about. So Africa and India are nowhere, is that what you're saying, Scott? No, 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 I'm not talking about, I'm saying that remote, remote locations. Africa, India, and then also South Dakota. <laughs> okay. Good yeah. save. Do we have uh, uh, any South Dakotans here tonight? Where is John Sheehan? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, he's from Minnesota or something. That's a middle of nowhere. My, bro- my, brother, my brother lives outside Portland in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, he moved out there so he could have a couple of acres and everything. And uh, they've been out there what, three months now, and they finally broke. And his wife called me, and he's like, "I need internet." <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's twenty-four yeah, four. Is that fast? I'm getting twenty-four wow. four. Is that good? Like, I think that your cables are dirty. You're, you <laughs> need to go and scrape the copper. So they're going to go either satellite or DSL. And they're only three miles out of town. Yeah, they, they should be able to get DSL, right? Can they get DSL? Uh, how does it work now with DSL? You can just get it over. Actually, oh. you know what? Uh, cable. The cable. Cable has much better penetration. Oh. And yeah. yeah. From what I remember, it's about distance from the central office. DSL yeah, DSL has limited distance over copper, but, but cable works better. Staying with the theme of mobile development, so I really enjoyed Rory's iPhone presentation, but I got him and I was really kind of horrified like by Objective C. And you sort of hinted yeah. at this, you're like, well, I'm going to start repeating a lot of stuff, and I'm going to do this stuff over <laughs> and over. It's not dry. And I'm going to use all these brackets that kind of make sense. And I thought you, you had a good way of explaining it. And I think it was it was neat. Maybe you could talk a little bit about the, the juxtaposition of Objective C. I want to hand it over. Objective C versus um, uh, Monotouch, which that seems to be sort of like the new hotness of like maybe this will yeah. get simpler. Because I looked at it and went, wow, that's cool, but that's like kind of like a little bit further back in time. All your '80s analogies, like Back to the Future, it's a little bit further back in time than I want to go. So, okay. So I got I got in some trouble when I did the Donna Rocks episode where they interviewed me about uh, iPhone development. Yeah, yeah, um, because and then I listened to all those things you said, and I repeated them on our stupid podcast. And he got in trouble. <laughs> and Miguel right. was like, yeah, that's true. Yes, yeah, so you got us in trouble. Well, that's the thing. No. We like so we're just all spreading no. wrong you, information. You the listener's background. What happened? Okay, well, well, okay. so I'm, t- I'm talking to Carl, and you know, we're just making conversation, and I'm thinking this is a show for .NET developers. Yeah. So I'm presenting information from the point of view of a .NET developer. What does mm-hmm. a .NET developer need to know about iPhone development? Right? And the first thing is that Objective-C is nothing like uh, any .NET language you ever use. And... Uh, uh, to me, it was a little bit. It was a little bit scary, right? You're getting away from your fancy, easy dot notation. Um, right. Properties are a completely different thing. Everything has a different name, right? An interface from uh, from .NET is called a protocol in Objective C. Uh, a method is a message, and they actually are technically different. There's all these just weird, bizarre things, and and uh, uh, they're holdovers from like 1986. That's why I say that installing the iPhone SDK is like installing a flux capacitor inside your computer, right? You just go back in time and you. Code like it's the 1980s again. Right. Max and, Headroom is there. Yeah, and, and, and you're drinking new Coke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what he, he can eat all this. It's his job. And, and and actually, at first it scared me, but I started to really enjoy it because of that bizarreness. Again, we were talking about it being. Uh, you want a program to be hard again? You should. Yeah. Learn Objective C with me. Yeah. No um, I've been I've been working with Chris Ellis actually weekend after weekend uh, doing effort development with him and. 
We've just been banging our heads on keyboards uh, at, at times. Yeah. Chris Sells is a pretty smart guy. Chris Sells yeah. is brilliant, right? But but there are things that we run up against that are But the uh, guy who wrote the iFart app, he's not. Look, look, we're not we're not even going to talk about that. We're, we're, no, but I mean, apparently iPhone developers isn't that freaking hard because uh, people are doing it. No, we, no, no. We, oh, wait, wait, wait. There's a certain there's a certain level of iPhone. Like the first year or so of iPhone development is going to be running dinky little apps that takes them 16 minutes to drag together the things and selling them for 99 cents, and that that's going to work for a year or so because there's no competition. But the minute uh, you know, as the platform matures, you have to write some pretty good apps to beat up. I mean, you know, to, I just, I just, just think about like you want to have a little application to track uh, how much you weigh every day. But pretty soon that becomes a, you know, all the exercises that you did that day. And then it's got to have videos showing you how to do more exercises. And then it's got to have a measure your biceps feature and all kinds of stuff. The stuff just gets added, it becomes more and more complicated. And at some point you have to be a good developer. But in the early days you can get away with some little dinky things. Well, and, and, and point being, the flashlight app was okay at some point. Right. Right. And, and, and you can actually, you can, you can <laughs> no, read no, it was never you, okay. That's a good point too. You can create the flashlight app though with new projects it's and you're done. And that's it, you've got a flashlight app. Yeah. So you could do that, but as you, as you go along, not only is the functionality more important, but uh, performance is a big deal, right? Sure. So there, there are people who are gonna use uh, a lot of the built-in convenience of the whole view system yeah. to build a table, for example. If you do that, you're going to have a chunky, terribly scrolling table that is... I, so I, it, I just name like, gonna do it, it doesn't come out perfect no, right no. off the bat. Right, you end up having to bypass all that and go straight to the C I, I juxtapose this to the time when I tried to move my Palm Pilot application when the Palm Pilot was dying from C to C-sharp on the uh, little Windows mobile phone. And it took me like three days to like put together a nice little blood sugar application. Granted, detail, the problem was, it was ugly. Mm. Yeah. But from like a productivity perspective, it was ridiculous. <laughs> you had a string type and everything, it was probably very exciting. Yeah. <laughs> you get excited. <laughs> when you get excited because there's a string type, there's a problem. There is. But, but you, know, you know what I'm saying? It's just interesting that people will work hard at something that looks pretty, yes. but they will not do the easy thing that looks ugly. All right. When you, when you get into it though, like my iPhone, when, when I go and I download an iPhone app, I, I get so easily offended now. Because I know what it takes. I know what it takes to, to build one of these things, and I know what people are doing, and it horrifies me. Well, like the, you're like angry at an application. Yes. Well, no. Well, okay. I'm angry at the app, but by proxy, I'm angry at the person who made it. Okay. And uh, uh, I'm angry at how lazy, you know, people are. How little research they do. Like there are all these guidelines to make the apps usable, right? To make them look good, make them usable, to make them consistent. Uh, from one app to the other, so you never need to have a manual. And a lot of people don't even bother to read the most basic documents to make that happen. And as a result, uh, uh, the app store is just packed with garbage. Like yeah. almost everything in there is yeah. garbage. There's a lot of, uh, well, that's just because people are writing like functional it's things. Like source, it's like SourceForge. It is like SourceForge. Right. It's a I great mean, I mean, the I've broken technical dream. Scott, this is Scott the Scott, not Scott the Microsoft guy. But yeah, I mean, the iPhone app store is like SourceForge, where it's like, we've got 86,000 apps and 1% of them are interesting and you shouldn't yeah. care about them. Yeah, but that's so much better than the Windows Mobile world. <laughs> we used to have on Windows Mobile where if there were 86,000 apps, they were some of them were good and some of them were bad and they didn't even have consistent user interfaces. And well, they, and they were on 86,000 different sites. Right? Yeah, so yes, actually, and that was the worst problem. You had three of them. Yeah, yeah, you had to go find them. And, yeah, and, and you were like, and then it didn't work because it was missing a button. You didn't have a button on your phone you needed to use this application. Oh, we're coming back. So, but but, but mono, yeah, mono touch. Yeah, go uh, ahead. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so mono is actually exciting to me for almost the same reason that uh, just Objective C development for the iPhone is, and that mono touch is brand new, mm -hmm. right? And and those guys are geniuses. Like I want to say that. I mean, they are seriously freaky smart yeah. people. And uh, uh, it's a virtual product. It does. You can write a pretty solid app with it. There's some stuff that's missing, right? But that's one of my favorite parts. 
Right. I mean, one of my favorite parts is finding the bits of the Cocoa Touch framework that they did not bind uh, for MonoTouch and writing the bindings. Mm. I don't know why. I must be sick, but I what really enjoy that. Okay, so uh, uh, if you want to use uh, uh, a Cocoa Touch type, like if there's, for example, the, the serialization bits in Cocoa, the, the, the libraries for the iPhone, uh, they're very different from any kind of .NET serialization. Well, can I interject? It, isn't it just like wrapping the Windows API? Like there's some, something you want to call in the Windows API Ooh. that's not exposed to the .NET framework? It's, so it's, you have a wrapper? Yeah. It's almost like that, except that because you're dealing with uh, a completely, t I mean, they've got to pass everything through the Objective-C runtime, right? So they've got a wrapper around the Objective-C runtime. They've got a set of attributes that they use to uh, uh, either export types to the Objective-C runtime or make Objective-C uh, uh, Cocoa types available to .NET, right? It's just fascinating. And there's some things you just can't do right now, and that's one of my favorite parts, right? And those guys are gonna, they're gonna fix it. You give those guys two months, three months, and the, and the model guys are gonna have everything ported over that's gonna be necessary. But right now, if you yeah. really wanna write an app that's gonna be able to like save state properly, restore properly, uh, be performant, you're gonna have to do this some is extra totally work. like writing for the Palm Pilot again, where it's like you could be shut down at any moment. <laughs> but but but, it, but it's it, ready. But it's not that. It's not quite that, right? Because the things that you can do, you really do write half the code. Like Miguel loves to talk about properties, and it's a great example because in the Objective C world, mm -hmm. you have to write your local in your header file. Then you got to write the property uh, uh, declaration that's going to uh, represent it, and then you got to put the synthesized statement in the implementation file. So and you're, then just, you just, you're just talking right? I mean, you're like you're translating stuff from English to Japanese and back into English again. I have no idea what you're saying. It's a million steps. And just to hook it up to a UI yeah. uh, component that exists in Interface Builder is a whole extra set of steps. With MonoTouch, you go to Interface Builder, which is their UI designer, you create your button or whatever it is, and you give it we'll just call it, you give it a name. It's called an outlet, but we'll just say a name. And MonoTouch, as soon as you save that interface file, mm -hmm. uh, will generate a partial class that will make all of those UI components available to you as properties, and you don't have to yeah. wire okay. anything so it is like, It's like WinForms, and how WinForms is really a very, very light framework on top of Win32. It, it is. It's it, all a lot, but there's so many things that were hard in Win32 that are just done yeah. for you. It, it, it's, it's, not, it's not a lie, though, because CocoaTouch, like, you cannot do things the .NET way for the iPhone, or else you're going to be wrong. If you try to write like a .NET app for the iPhone, you're going to screw up. Like the point isn't to make it possible to write .NET apps for the iPhone; it's to be able to write iPhone apps using .NET, right? I don't know if that makes sense, but string manipulation, date manipulation, right. all of that is it, so. And you know, it makes me wonder when you when you when you see something like that, you must be wondering if the people at, at Apple that engineer this stuff have ever looked at any other programming frameworks other than the one they're using because they haven't figured out some of the stuff that was invented 20 years ago to make programming easier. And, and it happens in the other direction, too, of yeah, course. We're not going to get mail for this show. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but it's really true. It's, it's really, I, okay, I can understand if they said, look, we just haven't had time to fix up Objective-C and to add the, these following features. But sometimes 20 years. You, look at these, you look at these application frameworks and the stuff is, uh, um, they, they don't even seem to be aware that certain technologies have been invented in programming languages, in, in application frameworks. Things like, uh, you know, the stuff is starting to show up in C-sharp. So C-sharp 3.0 is classic. Certain things that are starting to show up in C-sharp, uh, like a little bit of type inference, which was invented in probably, well, I was first learning about it in college, so Haskell 1988 or something, the idea of type inference, which the only thing, the only place that showed up in C-sharp is the var statement, and oh. then it infers the type. We have dynamic now. There's a statement called dynamic. What does that do? It's statically typed as dynamic. So if you have something and you oh, that's a variant. Are you sure? 
Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's another. Image. It's a dis. It's a dispatch. It's an I dispatch point. It's not, I, I, not not a comma I dispatch, but I'm putting it in Joel terms. Okay. So it's a thing that can. It's a. It's a variable yes. that can hold in, different in, type in, things. In Joel's world, it's a variant. Okay. I'm sorry. I have to go back to, to ten years. I haven't paid attention to anything since Visual Basic. A var, a var is a var is compile time. Correct. And dynamic. Okay. Totally dynamic. Understood. So var is a feature uh, called type inference, where the compiler actually figures out what yes. types of things. Var so is syntactic sugar. At syntactic sugar, and it's only partially implemented in C sharp. For example, can you do it? You can't use it for a parameter. No, uh, no. Okay, that's not there yet. But there are programming languages such as Haskell how, and how, about, how would you use it for a parameter? You would say var x. No, but how would you know what, how someone was going to call you? Two guys could call you differently. Only one of them would work because inside the code, you would be saying x equals twelve, and it would know that it's an int. Or you would be saying printf x, and it would know but that it's a string. You couldn't know that because two people would call you from two different places, and what the one who gets it's not who's calling you; it's what you're doing with the variable, and you're using that variable in places. And it turns out that you can deduce what type the thing is supposed to be. And if this sounds bizarre to you, yeah. a let me guess. Go look at Haskell or ML. There are languages that do this completely, 100% type inference. Okay. And b, we got Wasabi, which is a language that some idiot at Fog, no, sorry, some kid, Fog Creek Software wrote. <laughs> I don't know why you guys full type inference. All right, I'm gonna have Anders is gonna call you now, and we're gonna arm wrestle. Does Anders say you can't do type inference? Does he not look at Haskell? I'm not saying you can or can't do it. I'm just saying here, as a layman, as a non-compiler yeah. designer, yeah. as a person who doesn't own a multi-million dollar company in, in, in New York, I'm just trying to think about the logistics of parameter yeah. type inference. Okay, so you get, you, you get a parameter, it says var x. What do you do with x? You could call it another function, right? Maybe I return x. Maybe I x plus plus. Uh, x plus plus is an, plus plus is an integer operation. No, plus plus is, a, is, an, integer or is, a, is an operator. I could have overdone operator overloading. Ah, oh, that's a good question. Okay, yeah. well, I'm, I don't know if Haskell has operator overloading. And, and sometimes it's true that sometimes these languages, like if you look at uh, OCaml, it's very bizarre in that. It's, it's kind there of is, like, talking, it, talking to you is like talking to a college professor. Wait, wait, well, hold on, hold on. Like, yeah, that, 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 I, think, I think, I mean, maybe because yeah. I'm sort of dumb, so it might help for me to. Sure. Give the dumb version. Like, we, we may find the listeners here that show that we're all dumb. No, no, I think we need to stop designing languages like immediately. Yeah, like, I think that's very, very dangerous. You, get in trouble you, 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 you could do not do that. Just look at how somebody's calling Whatever it is. the yeah, function, wrong. right? And you yeah. can figure out from that what right. kind of data is being passed in, right? And either it's going to work or it's not. Message. And that's. Let me, let me tell you the Wasabi programming language developed at Fog Creek is VBScript, where nothing is. Uh, some things are tightly bummed, they don't have to be, and it does full type inference. Why doesn't it compile more into more than one application? It, well, that's just because we didn't bother Wait, No, 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 it's a domain-specific language, Joel, which is ahead of this time. It's a domain-specific language that no, no. compiles into one application. It's because specific to that domain. Application. Why don't you give it to the world? Ah, because it sucks. <laughs> you heard it here first. Good night, everybody. Tip your waiter. Wait, wait, wait. You're going to piss yourself off. You know how many podcasts I know with Joel? That's the single best thing he's ever said, and I love it. That has to be published. If you were trying to make a language. T-shirts made. I want to It sucks. Exactly. You should be wearing it. If you were trying to make a language whose only goal of this language was to compile the source code that you already had. Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't bother implementing all kinds of useful dude, language dude, features. I've, we've done this before. We I'm with you, brother. Here's the thing. I know why you yeah. wrote Wasabi, and I agree, and I'm with you. But to then declare it 
a superior general no, language. It's I didn't say that. A bit of a stretch. I just said that we did type inference. The type inference is possible. Try compiling. I just say it's an existence proof. It is an existence proof of type inference. Okay. It proves that you can infer types. From I didn't say, okay. To be clear. Yeah. We're not talking about. It. I mean, I, everyone understands you can do type inference. Yeah. I no, just you just said, said you couldn't. You couldn't figure out how to do it with a parameter. I just said with parameters, it might require a little more thought. Uh, what is the difference between calling a function with a parameter and assigning to a variable? Uh, because you can call it, for, I can pass in, because I could call foo with a string and foo with a, yeah. and foo with, you know, with another variable called a, and foo with a number, three different times in the wait, same wait, application. You're going to have to generate three different times. <laughs> that's going to have to be tightly balanced. You have to put a stop at the armchair. We can't be doing that. This no, has to stop. No, 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 this has to happen. He's describing generics. He's completely, you know, no, 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 Scott, wait, we gotta finish this. No, 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 you're not gonna finish. No, I agree with you. No, we need to do that. All right, so here's the deal, right? In objective C, you got that is a type error. That's you and I talk here. Scott, Scott, if you call the same function once with once with a string, that is a type error, right? Aha. Type inference doesn't mean you can't ever have type errors. The type inference says type error. The type inferrer can say you have a type error. Well, hold on, you just blow stuff up at runtime. Hang on, right? Give me this. No, at compile no, time. That's the well, no, part. Well, no, think about Objective C where you can blow stuff up at runtime, where you can just I pass anything in you want to. We, we have got to stop this. Joel, 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 we're 50 minutes into this, and the, I'm just telling you, the comments are not going to go well for you on this one. That's <laughs> because you're not letting me explain. All right. Well, actually, I have a segue because uh, I was. You have a segue? Do you want to go on? No, I have a segue in the other sense of the word. A segu. Uh, a segu, thank you. I mispronounced it as usual. A segu. I would like to segu into a different topic. Um, so you, you, showed, you showed to us uh, Visual Studio 2010 Beta 2, which just came out, right? I did, it's true. Yes. And I was actually, although you know, I do not, I try to avoid the new and shiny and the magpie developer problem. I must say the shininess was very attractive to me. Was it like the splash I, screen that got you? It was the non-rectangular splash screen, Ooh. first of all. Yeah. Non-rectangular. Let me just wow. let that sink in. Non-rectangular splash wow. screen. Yeah, so that's like a Adobe. So I thought maybe you could go over like just a few of the highlights in terms of like what's coming because I haven't really had time to look at it, but it looked serious? cool. No, I haven't at all. So are you, are you setting me up to be a show? Not at all. I just I would legitimately I, I honestly want to know for for Stack Overflow is written. Does it have type inference? That's because it's possible. I'm going to show you. That's <laughs> no, 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 no. Turn off. Please turn off Joe's parameter. I need you to turn off Joe's mic. I will tell you a few things, and then Joel will tell us when they were invented. <laughs> I will then, nice. I'll just tell you, and then Joel will say, 1904, and I was there. I was 1903. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, okay, this is so much. Um, let me think here. Well, maybe go specific to, for tailored to me. So, okay, so what do you care about? So ASP.NET, obviously, MVC. Yeah, so uh, MVC and also some, of the, some of the core language stuff, like C Sharp 4.0. This is like a real runtime change. This is yeah, so it's a side-by-side -side runtime, which means that it was not a fake. There was never a fake runtime. Change. Well, the, okay. in my opinion, there were there were fake runtimes. There, there have been four runtimes: one zero, one one, two, and four. Yes. So we're actually getting a new runtime. Yes, you're getting a new side by side. Like .NET three point and .NET three point five, yeah. which those, really are the put, yeah, those are the fake ones. Thank you. Rory backs me up. You could put four zero on a machine with two zero and three and three five, and it will keep running as before. Nice. You can have a machine like a Windows Server machine that has different virtual directories and runs. One, one, two, oh, three, five, four, oh, all on the same machine, and now it won't break. Installing four, oh, won't break your three, five app. Right, right. So let me just go off the top of my head. So one point oh was okay, initial release of .NET. One point one was the non-broken version, the right. three, five, right. 
Uh, 2.0 actually had generics. I'm just listening to highlights. Yeah, like, sure. yeah. uh, 3.0, I think, was Link. No, that was WPF. 3.5 was Link, wasn't it? And yeah, extension. yeah. Methods. Right? And 3.0 was, and extension was, was uh, WPF, WCF. Uh, so my point is there's a few highline features. Sure, of okay, the big stuff. The, the big, big stuff. stuff. Give me the big 4.0 cell. Like, make me believe. Make you believe. Make me believe, again, that I can fly. Ooh. Arcan. Um, well, MVG2 <laughs> ships out of the box. Right. jQuery ships with ASP.NET, but regular. These are not languagey things. Language okay, dynamic. The DLR ships okay. with 4.0. Okay. So that means you've got Iron Python, Iron Ruby. You've got also com better com binding. So if you're going to call com. Oh, wow. So wait, Iron Python and Ruby are going to ship like parallel 4.0? Or is that going to be? Yeah, they'll, they'll probably be out of band. I'm not sure I'd have to ask those guys. But the DLR is in the box. Oh, nice. So, that's, so that that's means fully... that you could go and you could say, you know, uh, var, var, uh, <laughs> you could say, you know, var p equals, you know, python.create runtime and then give it a whatever.py and then call it. You didn't mean to say, I actually wouldn't say bar, you'd say dynamic graphics. Well, sell me on the code simplification. Because to me, one of the smart things about .NET was it sort of got rid of some of the cruft. Like as I went from 2.0 to 3.0 to 3.5, I, I could use the var keyword, I could use generics. These yeah, things simplify yeah, the code. Pro property stuff, right? Property set, getter set. Yeah, get set. Yeah, it's yeah. just one line now. Sure. Right. So yeah, there are things that made my life you easier. You can have name parameters. And oh, name parameters. Yeah, that's, that's nice. really cool when you're calling com. You don't have to keep saying missing, comma, missing, comma, missing. Yeah. Yeah, right. That's a good one. Yeah. Well, I just I had a comment. I wanted to say first of all that uh, I got comments after today's talk where I was told that one of the most exciting parts was where I showed the difference between doing properties in Objective C and in C sharp, right? Instead of having to do it in the five million line of and, 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 and no, it was. And I like. I got to make it clear too. I just want to think. I like Objective C and I like developing for the iPhone. I, Apple guys, I'm sorry. I like this stuff, but. C sharp, getting to do a lot of stuff on one line, get my whole, just get everything done there was amazing. And people were genuinely really excited about getting to do that for the iPhone. Right? And in fact, I'm sorry, can we go back to something in a little while at least that Joel brought up? Can we not? We're talking Jeff and I. Jeff and I okay, 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 okay. Well, I do have a question, though, related to the features you're talking about. It's been a while since I've done any Windows development. So nice. Now, why? Would I get so excited about, would you say, like, better calm something or other? I mean, well, is they, really so, so here's the thing. This is, I like to call, this is Scott talking, not Microsoft talking. I like to think of it as a customer pain uh, release. There's a mm. whole bunch of stuff that people were hurting about. Not necessarily stuff that you, Rory, care about, but people who are automating, doing business problems, automating Word and Excel, and this, you know, they're trying to right. get an ish done. Uh, would, would be pretty excited about using the DLR and the calm binder to make things easier. Right, the mm -hmm. name parameters is huge. Because yeah, once you have, I mean, and we try to avoid having functions with like seven parameters, that would be extreme, right? We're just full of them, like 47 parameter functions yeah. that we're based like, oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so another example on the comm side is the ability to do uh, type inference with uh, dynamic, uh, which is, um, you can have like a PIA, a primary interop assembly, and you like reference a word interop assembly, and that would ordinarily be like a 20 meg file you have to carry around. Now you can just say embed interop assemblies. And it'll look at the types that you use and then just embed the ones that you need. And then at mm -hmm. runtime later, it'll say, oh, well, these types that he has embedded are the same ones as that are installed on the machine. You don't have to ship the PIAs, and it makes your application small. Right, and you also mentioned there's a dynamic keyword? There's a dynamic keyword. So um, you know how you do main calls with reflection now, right? You could go and... Oh, I see. You, you, you could do reflection. And like, oh, reflection was so painful. Right, so you, oh. it's not painful anymore because there's, there's a... Oh, wow. So you could actually say dynamic, you know, A equals, and then wander around the object. You could say calc dot 
add. Oh, and nice. even though it doesn't, you know, you don't know until runtime if it has the add method. It's the equivalent of uh, you know, calc a equals new calculator and a dot add, yeah. and then suddenly you. Okay, I got that in UVA. Six, six, yeah, but this means it's part of the base framework. This is an IL. You can use. But we got. I know it's awesome, but like here we are fighting to get back things that we're in. No, literally. Tell that to the objective first version of VBA. So, I mean, they haven't even yeah, gotten yeah, there. Yeah. That's what yeah. I'm trying to tell well, you. It takes so long for well, these things to come out. You, you taught me of the objective sequence. Ninety. So, must so, have ninety-two so cool when the first came out. You get you get Python, you get Ruby, you get Com, you get Python. That's the program manager. So stuff that you were doing that meta programming type stuff and like code, you know, any time that you were. Well, anytime you want, basically, call site dispatching, dynamic dispatching methods, and all the framework underneath it to make it fast, that's all included. Okay, well, actually, all I need to hear, the money line for me, Script is it makes reflection app. not painful, oh, yeah. is like huge. Well, I'm making an app um, scriptable. You can take any app and then just say, oh, I want to expose these objects, and that now, is very cool. now I can drop in Python and the app is scriptable. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. very cool. Yeah, I'm going to make Baby Smash a Python edition, basically. Really like, kids could write their own apps using the Baby Smash framework. That might be a sort of steep learning curve compared to the regular Baby Smash user interface. Right, for infants I think it may be a struggle, but not for rock hard awesome. <laughs> of course, no. He's way ahead of his time. It's true. Uh, so w what's the ETA roughly on like 4.0 like, being available like for real, like shipping? Um, Just, I'm not sure. I mean, uh, they, I saw online something about next March, but I don't know. I have to check. Sometime next year then probably. Sooner I'm than not like, trying to sooner, make you. No, no, I'm saying I honestly don't know. I, I, I read on Twitter, someone said next March. But I'd have to go and check. Beta 2 came out now. Okay. So it would be six months from now. Well, what about, okay, so that was the language, which I think is the core thing that's interested in. But what about, what about the IDE? Because I think, oh yeah, so the IDE, uh, like most of the yeah. IDE is using WPF now, which means that you can write plugins for the IDE in managed code. It had a nice icon. I just want to point that out. Mm -hmm. There are probably more people going to notice Jeff's thing than Scott's thing. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the IDE improving. One thing like multiple so there's an app store for IDE extensions. Really? Like you can go tools, extension manager, and you can download dynamically. Oh, so check wow. this out. And I pay for it and all that stuff? No, I don't think about the pay for it part. How's that a store? So there's this there's this demo that we did internally where um, at this there's an internal conference we have, it's kinda of like a mini ticket. Mm -hmm. And the you remember the Songsmith thing where you like Yeah, totally. Like, so this guy wrote an extension that embedded Songsmith so you could <laughs> sing your comments. And it was it was an example of yeah, it was pretty crazy. Stupid but awesome. <laughs> the, day, the point was Add two to C. It was exactly what we did. And what he did was he put in some comments and in the markup of the Do comments, not mess with this code. <laughs> Dragons. I don't even know how it Dragons works. Be here. <laughs> you change anything, it's, like it's not going to Sondheim with the with type in front. Uh, you could put in some markup inside of your uh, uh, your comments and then key off of that and then literally drop, he dropped the Songsmith component into the editor itself. Right. The point is you can interact with the editor in a way that you could never do before. The editor so, is much more extensible. Oh yeah, and you have multi-monitor support. Oh, that's big. The whole thing now. Right, well, what were the, like give me like the top three things that you noticed when you, when I coming saw, into it. Yeah. Um, WPF apps typically have a, um, have a bad reputation of being blurry. That's totally fixed, and the speed of WPF is really fast. So w, Visual Studio 2010 is written mostly in WPF now, but it's as fast as it was in 2008. Nice. So it's, it just looks better. It, it just looks, looks better. better. It looked good. You get like control scroll support in your. Uh, oh, nice. So you can like zoom in and out of your. Zoom in and out of your code. Yeah. Oh, nice. Um, it's. I mean, it's pretty cool. 
Pretty cool. pretty cool. Um, there's a whole new redesign, new project that Alan Fox too. Yes. In, in my With world for the past year, yeah, yeah. I've had a color coded, oh, somewhat the, uh, the color completion kind of feature. That, that was the big deal for me. Was getting color completion that mostly worked. We just got refactor oh. for something. Okay, so, <laughs> so you guys are like, oh, it's pretty cool, you know. But I mean, seriously, like uh, the, when I when I see Visual Studio, it, it, like you guys, two thousand three, I get jealous, right? And it's a totally different world. We got the IDE thing down pretty solid. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's nice. It's well, Microsoft, oh, oh, Microsoft makes the best dev tool. Dotnet four, the, the bootstrapper for Dotnet four is like was it like eighty percent smaller than before? Really? You can start installing Dotnet four but downloading a, a was it. Less than one meg, so it's like a one, like a 0.8 meg bootstrapper, and it comes down. There's a client profile if you're only going to install a client app, and then there's a server profile. So if you're going to install, uh, you know, I don't know, the Rory.net application, it's not going to install ASP.net on the person's machine. She's not needed. Did, did I hear you say the compilation is finally multi-threaded for like? Actually, this is something I learned. Actually, on the C side, Ooh. compilation is just very easy to multi-thread. Yeah, uh, but on the compilation, well, you, compilation. Can, you can do multi-thread compilation now in three five. Eh, it's kind of no MS build slash M, and you put the number of processes you want. Yeah, but it doesn't really scale. Whereas the C stuff like yeah, scales like crazy. You're pulling that out of your ass. What are you talking about? I've written well, articles about this. Well, I, I know he's but, written articles, but I'm just saying. So they fixed that. So now out of the box, I don't know what has been fixed about okay. multi-thread. Other than the fact that I've been doing it for years. Well, because when I posted my, my, my blog, all the C programmers came out of the woodwork like, rah, we're going to lynch you because you know, yeah. quad core well, CPUs for us are huge. MS Build support multiproc for a long time. Yeah. It really has services. But, oh, but speaking of multiproc. But wait, on the C side, you, I don't know if you understand, it scales like linearly, like perfectly. Well, that was because so many people don't have to code C. Yeah. Well, I, I don't code C, but that was my point. It's like, I would like to have. I, I always feel the need to give. To give and it matters to because you're learning C. Ten times as much code to do the same thing in C. So you need the can process. Is basically well, like I had a whole caveat thing. around my recommendation. I was like, okay, you don't really need quad core unless you're a C programmer. Then you really need it. Mm -hmm. um, so that oh, but seriously, about on the core stuff, uh, the parallel framework extensions is a huge. Oh, huge is that part. shipping now? Mm. Oh, that's in four points built in. Nice. Built in. So that means if you have like a for loop or you're doing like some link and you just want to say, oh, you know, I wish I could do this across multiple processors, you just say parallel.4 and then you just for each over stuff. Or if you want to do link, that's like a big link query over a huge data set, you can say, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you know, from F to in whatever dot as parallel dot with degrees of parallelism and then pick the number of processors you want to use. So then you can take mm -hmm. any any big enumeration or I query will enter a thing over a large list and then do it on multiple procs. And then okay, 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 wait, you like that? Did you know that too? I had this thing, this language, there was a language. What the heck were those machines that I had in college? The parallel, oh, super, super parallel Cray. machines. It was after the Cray. After the Cray. Thinking machine? Concurrent. It was a thinking machine. Maybe it was a thinking machine. They called it the connection machine. It's called the connection, connection machine. machine. It, it just had buckets and buckets and buckets of 83, 86 chips. And there was a language for it called C star. There's another language called Fortran star. And you could run C code and Fortran, Fortran like code. Star. <laughs> Fortran and, and, uh, and C code that it would just automatically get massively parallelized for you just by adding little stars in various magical places. It would cause your loops uh, to run um, in parallel automatically. Never that happened. was at Erlang. Isn't that the language du jour right yeah. now that people are talking about that does? And actually, it's surprisingly, it's extremely, in those days, and this may still be the case, it's extremely, sometimes it really doesn't help because you think, all right, I got this big array of things. Yeah. Just the cost of moving the data to all the right. different CPUs uh, or to those different cores is actually higher than the amount of time it would take to process them yourself. We added a bunch of new visualization tools now where you can see all the threads, what ooh. they're doing, what they're blocked on, why they're blocked. Oh, ooh, historical debugging. 
What's it's that? like TiVo for your. You could do it. It's like debugging C star code for the exit machine, which yeah, is a star call. That's thread support. And. Boop. Did I run out of power? The thing just booped. All right, I think we're running out of it. Going for an hour here. But well, historically debugging, you can actually back up in the debugger. And that's primarily for threading where the whole thing is. No, but I'm just saying, you can go forward and you can go backwards. And then I can say, drop oh, it. Wait a minute. What, you like that? Like you step, 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 and then you and go then back up. Yeah. And then you can also go and say, well, I'm going to take this IntelliTrace file and I want to give it. <laughs> oh, yeah, IntelliTrace. Want, IntelliTrace is cool because you can then wrap it up and then give it to somebody else. Like, like, like remember the Replay TV used to do that? Oh, nice. And you can say, here, figure this out. So rather than handing someone a dump, you hand them an IntelliTrace. Awesome. And then they just keep debugging from where you left off. Nice. Right. Let me. So transition point. So we we got to wrap this up. We're going to wrap it up, but real briefly, I want to tie into the, the Apple world. Like, what, what? I know they're very secret. Thank you for that. <laughs> well, well, I'm, I'm yeah. just saying, because I'm very curious, like, where are they going? Like, with Microsoft, one of these things is they're almost too open. Like, 2010, we know what's happening, yeah. blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, like, what's next for iPhone? Stuff. Like, are they going to improve the environment? Are they going to do garbage collection? What are they going to do? Um, well, garbage collection already exists in Objective-C 2.0, just not on the phone for some reason. Um, as far as where they're going to go with it, uh, Joel, you... We're saying you. The, yeah. I'm not saying you know. I'm saying that earlier on you were talking about how it seems like the people on the Apple side and the Objective C side have never really looked at anything else, and that is exactly yeah. the case. If you go to your own site, if you go to StackOverflow.com, yeah. which I visit, um, yeah. anytime somebody asks a question about like MonoTouch, you get five angry comments about why do you want to learn a new language? Touch just use Objective C. You know, and, uh, uh, you get that voice. You get, well, you get all these people who are really upset about somebody wanting yeah. to learn anything else. So people don't like. I won't say that people don't like progress in the Objective-C world, but they just got Objective-C C programmers don't like progress. It, well, it's, it's, they, they, they don't have perspective. They don't, like, listening to you guys talk about these things, I'm thinking, I'm just sitting there with, you know, GDB, like, stepping over stuff, hoping that I can, ins I can inspect a property. I've got to go to the console to inspect a property by hand. You, you should know. See, Roy, we're from the future. Right. You should know. <laughs> work from Microsoft. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I did, I did that. <laughs> I mean, it was cool. It was fun. Everything. But I actually, I like this. You yeah, like suffering. I, it's not suffering. It's a it's challenge. A it's hobby. fun. It's like it's like being a hobbyist. It's it's it feels yeah, like yeah, it feels like the frontier, even except, though it's actually really old. But I mean, it feels like except you're a hobbyist who's suffering. I'm a hobbyist who's getting paid. And suffering. you know, making programming too easy is could not end well. Could not end well. If programming, if your compiler took care of everything, if you just sort of it's like, who needs it? like these, these these Cadillacs where there's no you don't feel the road. It's not fun. At all. You're gonna hit uh, you're gonna hit a kid and you're not gonna know. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you're gonna get a child car and the shock absorber is gonna be so good. We gotta we gotta sign this off, but I'm not gonna be able to say the phone number for Stack Overflow Hotline because we'll we'll edit it. <laughs> <laughs> it's impossible. Now you're hitting kids with, with Cadillacs. Cadillacs. I literally don't even know where I can put this thing. <laughs> I can't put this it on the handsome minutes. Damn it. I can't put it on handsome minutes. Why not? Audio, in this audio episode, we're going to get the audio. We'll fix it. The audio is horrible. I'm just going to use this thing. Well, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was going to megaupload.com. I liked it there. I thought it was good. It was good. All right. Oh, Roy and I give Thank you, everybody. Wait, wait, wait. We'll make the audio good. We will. Really. We will. This is going to be handsome minutes and Stack Overflow podcast. And crappy edition to contact. You stop stack that. Every time I take part in one of your things, you have any questions for me and Jeff, <laughs> call the Stack Overflow Podcast Hotline. Oh, there it is. 646-826-3879 or email podcast at stackoverflow.com. There's also a wiki page at trans with transcript at blog.stackoverflow.com where people who couldn't understand what we were saying because the audio was so bad can also, go to read it. And you can also berate us in the comments. Thank you. Feel free to berate us in the comments. Now, what's the closing for Hansel Minutes? This has been another horrific episode of Hansel Minutes. <laughs> we'll see you again next week.
Coming to you from another place in time. <laughs> You've been listening to Stack Overflow with Jeff Atwood and Joel Spolsky. The Conversations Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we need your help. For a tax-deductible donation of as little as $5 per month, you can support this channel and the rest of the Conversations Network. So please visit conversationsnetwork.org to become a member and help us continue to bring our programs to the world for free. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. The post-production audio engineer for this program was Joel Spolsky. Our website editor was Jeff Atwood. The series producer is Jeff Atwood. This is Phil Windley. I hope you'll join me next time for another great presentation from Stack Overflow here on IT Conversations.